Hello and welcome to another edition of Spotlight, the Star Trek podcast from a non-Trekkie perspective. My name's Liam Dempsey and I'm joined by my usual co-host, Matt Brothers. Hello. And we are also joined by a very special returning guest, Sophie Petzl. Hello. Hi. I deeply resent this. <laughs> oh, I'm really, really sorry. So Turned you... up, we kicked your door in and we said, right, Picard no, now. No, no. Literally got the clockwork orange eye clamps <laughs> on you. Like, forced you 10 episodes of Picard. You haven't been able to watch House of Dragon, no. She-Hulk, no. Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, no. any of the far better shows out <laughs> right now as <laughs> you've been watching nothing but Picard season two. There's never been a better smorgasbord of TV out at once and Yet. And exactly. Yet. <laughs> it's been like my own cue battle. It's been my own personal purgatory. We play the game again. You're just acting as everybody's cue here. Yeah, I was like, I am your cue. <laughs> Showing up in DMs again. Let's talk. Again. I, just, I have no idea what I've learned at the end of this. I don't know what personal uh, catharsis I've reached by watching season two of Picard. So, first and foremost, have you actually seen season one? Mm hmm. Yeah. Okay. I think you, so. You watched yeah. it previously. You didn't watch it for in prep for this. No, God, you no. did actually watch because that no. would have been real, <laughs> real punishment. Twenty episodes of Picard back to back. No, I no, I had seen Picard one, and I think I was watching that because I think I think I caught that like whenever I would go and visit my parents. My mum's a huge Trekkie. I've probably said before. So like whenever I'd go down, if we were watching telly in the evening, we'd probably watch a couple of episodes of Picard. So I feel like I caught Picard season one that way. I, we, you were talking about the finale earlier. I was like, did I watch the finale? I, I think I did. But TV goes fun. in one eye and out the other for me a lot of the time, even though I should, it shouldn't be that way because I write it and stuff. <laughs> but um, yeah, it doesn't absorb. It doesn't stick, and especially not Picard. Oh, the finale is when they make Picard, they bring Picard back from the dead and make <gasps> give him a synthetic body, yes. which is why which is exactly in same. season two, yes. which is exactly the same, which is why in season two, when he is on the like, operating table or whatever, and their child bring him back to life, the doctor or nurse is like, what the fuck's going on? Like, why is and he steaming? Yeah, and they're like, oh, don't know. He's had some, like, uh, what do they say? Like, he's ha- had, like, some surgery or something like that at some point. But so he wasn't upgrades, was it? It's like, I, still the same yeah. old man. Upgrades. I remember watching him, like, he, they should have said he's had some work done. Like, well, no, of... she's like, doesn't look like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I had, I did see that because I remember balking at the incredibly elaborate script note exposition of, like, don't worry, this doesn't mean you're going to live forever. We've programmed your new robot to die naturally or something. And it was all like, oh, clearly somebody had a note going like, hang on, does that mean he's going to live forever? No, don't worry. We put in a terrible line to explain that he won't. I remember it, yeah, that. it literally did not matter at no. all. It literally meant nothing. You just the, brought him back like, from the dead. Was, Yeah, you just brought him back from the dead for no reason. Uh-huh. Sophie, between the last time you were on the podcast, which we worked out was around probably about 10 months ago, mm-hmm. when we talked about macrocosm, from Star Trek Voyager, which at least had... Which now seems like 2001 Space fucking Odyssey. Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, at least it had Janeway in a vest to entertain uh, us. Yes, it did. <laughs> like, but th- which this has none of, no. sorely lacking mm-hmm. of Janeway in a tight vest. But since then, what Star Trek have you watched aside Picard, if any? So I did watch some of the newest season of Discovery. I bought it on Apple 
when it was caught up in the whole like is it gonna air here right right, right. oh the season four as in where is the it hell season... is season four gone yeah is it was even season four because i feel like it's season yeah. four i still um, don't know because i feel like it got broken up into two or something um, but i watched about three or four episodes of that and absolutely fucking hated it i can't even remember what happened now but i absolutely gave up and it originally the plan was no you've bought it you've spent like 20 fucking pounds <laughs> on this but I, I can't remember what happened but i i gave up and We've I've still got this to look. Yeah, I was about to say, so our far. season four review, coming soon. Right, so, right, right, right. And, um, and then I've also seen, I think, two episodes of Strange New Worlds, which I absolutely loved. Um, Everyone seems to love Strange New Worlds. And I need to watch more of that. Now I'll have more free time post-Picard. <laughs> <laughs> so you dived in on Paramount+. Plus. I have. I think I did that for Strange New Worlds because everyone was telling me that that was really yeah. good. And it is. It feel, it just, it's really charming, really delightful, really fun. The stories of the week are really complete and the characters are good and the dialogue isn't fucking awful. They're still slightly embarrassing twee. Like the one who... She like sings to the aliens or something. I was like, why does everyone have to <laughs> sing now? Like, I know all actors can sing. They're building up to Star Trek the musical. It's going to happen. They've got to get that, they've got to get that Paramount... Plus subscription somehow. I, just, like, yeah. I find I have such a cringe response to singing, which is terrible because there's lots of great singers or like people singing in in non-consensual environments. Like I non-consensual. <laughs> I don't like non-consensual live music. I don't like people singing at me or to me when I'm not expecting it or playing music. All of a sudden, I, I have a strong cringe response to that. And so. <laughs> Because all actors can fucking sing. It's like, you know, and I've been there in those rooms when it happens. We've been like, you know, blah, blah can sing really well. Should we just have them like burst into song at some point in this? And the answer should always be no. What are you referring to, Mr. Agent Dunbar, who you did work with, who does also (laughs) sing? (laughs) No, actually, because that bit was by design. There's a bit in Blood where he starts drunkenly singing a folk song with um, the old lady whose name I can't remember. And no, no, that was consensual because I designed that. I was like, I want that moment for plot reasons. <laughs> that was a sort of a nod to the fact that my Irish family are full of drunk, non-consensual singers. Like that kind of, <laughs> I get sad and drunk and I start singing yeah. sad Irish folk songs and everyone else is mortified. It's like, very... I'm just depicting the reality I know. Yeah, I'm just depicting the reality I know. <laughs> um, Adrian Dunbar sings very nicely. He's in a new show at the minute. We're famous well, this is why I'm mentioning yeah yeah, 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 yeah. A new show where he apparently sings multiple songs per episode. Uh, yeah, my friend my friend made it. So I, I, it's not the usual kind of thing that I would normally sit down to watch, but I, I, I did and I really enjoyed the, uh, the singing element. It was quite controversial, but I was like, hello, is actually he's a, he's a, he's he's going up to his jazz bar and <laughs> singing his little songs. One of them was a sad Irish folk song, and I was like, maybe this is the thing I can tolerate. I can imagine. I like to think of Superintendent Ted Hastings like singing in a bar somewhere mm. after he's quit the police force at the yeah. end of Lion <laughs> Duty. Oh, that that feels that feels very on brand. No, it's it's the the type of thing that will kill me is that thing like that little that little moment in Strange New Worlds that I'm picking on unfairly where she just I can't remember what the context is, but they're sort of. These, it's about far, you have to be like in key with these alien globules or something in order to like get them to turn on or something. And so she's just going, if you're like, oh, you need to give me a B flat, there's a way of doing that that isn't like, ah! And uh, somehow the version that the actors have to do is always the tits and teeth Broadway version. And you're like, no, please stop. <laughs> Would you take a deal where they there is they do a proper like musical episode, and yes. then the deal is that no other singing outside of that. Yeah, Get no all singing in that outside one. of me. Or like they can they could do like the Doctor in Voyager, where mm. he's like he's singing in a concert environment. It's when they just start like if anyone else started singing to me in the moment like yeah. that, I would be like, oh my god, stop! What are you doing? Because they haven't done a proper musical episode of Trek 
ticket, have they? There isn't like neither a that nor episode. a Christmas yeah. one, as it seems. Yeah, well, I mean, that's insane. <laughs> there's literally there's a couple episodes where Christmas is mentioned, stuff like which we actually. Well, covered this has been before. our trouble trying to find a Christmas special for this podcast. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, no we, bloody like, Christmas on episodes. our first ever star, uh, Spotlight Christmas special. We basically ticked off all of the Christmas moments yeah. in Star Trek episodes, but there's never been a Christmas special. I can't believe there was never a Christmas Carol next gen episode. That feels really next gen. Yeah. Like ghosts of a queue of past. And with all these shows future. and all their seasons over all the decades, it's like it's not that they haven't had the chance with these twenty four episode network season yeah. to like get in the Christmas one. It's sort of proudly non denominational very early on, mm. <laughs> before that was cool. Perhaps it's because they know Peace You did Scrooge so they're just kind oh, of yes. like yeah so they're like oh we don't want to kind of touch that it's too kind of close <laughs> but, but say he just hates Christmas everyone yeah. knows it <laughs> but he's mad mad that they haven't especially now with Paramount Plus in existence I'm like guys you've got to do a Christmas special you've got to do a proper like crossover Star Trek across the time streams Christmas party Christmas special so <laughs> like, I'm like how can they not at this stage they've got to like you know they, they've got to keep Star Trek on every fucking week of the year they've got to keep the lights on over at Paramount Prize <laughs> but when that so, Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy Christmas special is like a yeah. massive hit for Disney though. yes mm-hmm. exactly that's what they'll I'm thinking that like, Guardians of okay. the Galaxy holiday special needs to be huge and then they'll be like right we need our holiday special I'm just surprised yeah. it's not even been a musical because all, like Star Trek has always had actors who can sing mm. and they've always had characters who sing like Picard would sing wouldn't he or he'd play music um, the, His little flute. Yeah, and right? the doctor. The, yeah. The doctor in Voyager. Like I remember, there was a. Oh, it was an episode where Tuvok goes into some sort of um, hormonal fever dream, <laughs> and he imagines Robert Ricardo singing at him like how to put him to sleep. Right. And it's to something mobile that that Italian song. Anyway, <laughs> that one. And um, yeah, and so that's the only musical moment where it's like uh, he's singing the plot to him. And yeah. it's just a fever dream. And I was like, they should do a whole Star yeah. Trek musical. They've got to do it. They've got to do it. Because it would work. If they come up with so many stupid plots, it would be so easy to go like, oh, there's an, there's an alien that's taken over the ship and we die unless we only communicate through song. Yeah, and yeah. We, know, uh, we know Scott Bakula can sing from being in the Always Sunny in Philadelphia <laughs> yeah, yeah. musical episode. There you go. It's just some crew member gets some alien goo on them at the start and that makes them see everybody as singing and then it keeps yeah. kind of cutting outside of that perspective and yeah have some... well, yeah just just Buffy wants more feeling yeah, like, yeah. You're, you're right. strangely to be the one to do it then if yeah. Oh, yeah exactly yeah I think I think you can see that and then you can they're already doing a Strange New Worlds Lower Decks crossover so you know which I, I don't know how that's going to work but they are doing it I've never seen Lower Decks and apparently that's really good uh, it's it's fun. You fucking love Lower Decks. Uh, I like yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I like oh, it a fair bit. Taking it back now. Compared like to especially it. how much you don't like it. Well, no, I didn't like, like season. This. I didn't like season one of Lower Decks. I've got one over by season two. Good. Oh. So and season three, I'm even more ready for. Season one had the curse of Badgie in it. Like, <laughs> there's a character called Badgie, which is basically like a Starfleet insignia come to life. Oh. And it's incredibly Oh, annoying. so it's literally a badge with a Y at the end yeah. of the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh. by Jack Mabrea, so you can imagine... Uh, oh, wow. You can imagine it. Quite something. <laughs> I hated it so, so much. <laughs> oh. To the point where Matt made me a birthday card with Badgie on it. Oh, like, my uh, uh, Sophie, <laughs> can you remind our listeners who you are and what you do? Who am I? I'm Sophie. And I, I write TV for a living. So I write TV drama. I've written things like Blood, Seasons 1 and 2... Hollington Drive on ITV and um, what else have I done? I've done a load of episodes of other people's shows like The Last Kingdom and Medici, Masters of Florence, Riviera, 
ton of children's TV, Jekyll and Hyde, if anyone ever remembers that. Yeah, bunch of things. I feel like I've probably done more, but I can't remember any of it. So cool. that, that's the uh, that's the potted CV. So, I mean, you're kind of revealing your stance here, mm. Sophie. I take it you did not enjoy season two of Star Trek Picard. <sighs> no. There are some moments that haunt us all our lives. Moments upon which history turns. Well, hello, my friend. What is this? What have you done? Welcome to the road not taken. Do you have any idea what's happening here? Reality has been broken. There is a divergence. I know someone who could help us understand the change in time. I'm gonna need some tea. Earl Grey, piping hot. Hello, Guinan. Your answers are not in the stars, and they never have been. Earth 2024. A single change is vastly more dangerous than you realize. None of our tomorrows are guaranteed. You're gonna have to let go. We're stronger together. You must bring us home. This is a very bumpy century. But uh, I think I'm getting the hang of it. I believe you have one final frontier yet to come. The short answer is no, but I feel like I feel like I want to make a kind of really noble effort to try. I, I wanted to make, I'm going to use the past tense, I wanted to make a noble effort to try and come at it with an open <laughs> mind because I came into it, I was dragged into it, let's say, late. Everyone had already told me how shit it was. I, I sort of didn't, I was like, no, don't come on to just be snarky and come up with loads of snark and stupid shit about why it's <laughs> dumb. But it's also just not my fault that there's nothing to enjoy in it. So I kind of came away thinking that either this show is knowingly or unknowingly a thesis, a study upon the God Complex, both, say, from Q, Card, and whichever sung it is that we're watching. The million um, songs. The million <laughs> songs. So Q's whole endeavour here at the end is just so incredibly meaningless. It's like, I'm doing this for you, babe. This is for you. This is for your well-being. I didn't hurt you. I helped you. It's for your mental health. He's like the toxic therapist who's, you know, orchestrating uh, events at, at whim. Picard is this revered deity who does and achieves nothing. And it's kind of amazing the baseless reverence with which everybody holds for him. There's a moment where like Rios, he's like, he is like a father to me. And you're like, you only, that's such a tropey line in like NCIS and CSI. Mm. It's what you always get in cop shows by like season four when you want like the sidekick to have a sort of an emotional moment with Gilbert Grissom or because <laughs> Rios only met him a minute ago uh-huh. well they like, all they uh, all only yeah. met each other a minute ago you said this in season one about whichever character was he was like you were talking about Raffi so yeah. at the end of season one there's a big scene where Raffi and Picard tell each other they love each other as friends obviously as Raffi has a lesbian relationship with seven and nine but they tell each other they love each other 
And I was like, why? I was like, literally, we've never met Rafi until this scene. There is some flashbacks. It's set in between uh, TNG and Picard, where we see that, obviously, he's known Rafi for a while. But I was like, we as an audience have no pre-established relationship with Rafi. Therefore, by the time they get to the point where they're going, oh, I love you, I'm like, do you? I don't know this character. So why do you love you? Like, I was literally like, it would make so much more sense to me if that character had been Beverly Crusher mm-hmm. or something like that, because I'm like, yeah, if they said, I love you, I'd be like, yeah, of course you do. And now I think that's kind of rendered even more pointless by the mm. fact that season three, they are bringing all of the original TNG cast back. Yeah, so, so I know. everyone kind of like, everyone who hasn't been in it yet is back for uh, season three, plus the people who have already been in it, like Frakes and Certis. And this is a funny thing, actually. Shows that you feel like were conceived before they could actually get to what they wanted to do. Yeah. Mm. But it's all mixed up, isn't it? The the order of what they're doing with the show, I think, in general. Because a lot of the end of this feels like this should be the end of Picard. Because it's all... It began with Q and Picard in the pilot of TNG. It's ending kind of here. But now we're going to have the season that's all... But this is the thing. This is exactly what I mean, right? Because there's a few shows I think this can apply to, right? And sometimes it all works out. And sometimes it doesn't. With Picard, you feel like, obviously, they've now unleashed the big trailers and posters. In fact, they released the teaser trailer for season three of Picard while season two was still airing. Yes, I remember. And it feels like they released it because they went, oh, everyone's going to hate season two. (laughs) So just so you know, this is fucking coming in season three, bitches. So keep at it because this is coming (laughs) and you're going to want to watch this. And it feels like now Picard's been a success in terms of, you know, presumably it's up subscribers, people have watched it mm. on the streaming service or whatever the case. Like, it a record like... number of articles saying it's the worst season <laughs> Star Trek yeah. ever made. Now yeah. they've managed to get all of the rest of the TNG <laughs> cast back. Like, so everyone's signed on the dotted line. And you kind of feel like, isn't this just what you wanted to do in season one? Didn't you just want to do TNG season eight in season one? But you were like, oh, not everyone's up for it just yet. So we'll do Picard. And now we've got C3. Now everyone's up for it. We're going to do this. And by the way, it's the final season announced already. Oh, is it? Thank so that God. kind of shows that they're like, well, this is all we've got left mm-hmm. in the tank. Because this is what we wanted to do all along. And it reminds me of Mandalorian. Now, Mandalorian's kind of a great show out of restriction. Because it was clearly a thing. It was the first, like, uh, canary in the coal mine for Disney+. Plus. Where they went, well, we're going to let you do Star Wars, but we're not going to let you use any like big characters or anything like that. Because season one of Mandalorian is very much Mando, Baby Yoda. And they went and did this really, really cool show that everyone fell in love with. And then after that, they did the Boba Fett TV series. And it was clear that because they were going to do ages ago, like a Boba Fett movie, and then all the Star Wars movies fell into disarray and they didn't do it. And you kind of feel like, Oh, Boba Fett is what you wanted to do all along. And you went, oh, we can't do Boba Fett. We don't want to risk that. So we'll do this character who basically is Boba Fett. And now everyone loves Mandalorian more than Boba Fett. (laughs) And then Boba Fett came back and was shit. And literally, (laughs) it's just like, right, okay, that's taken off the table. So that was the case where Mandalorian worked. But by because of that, the Boba Fett one didn't work. And then the other show I can think of is Ashes to Ashes. 
where literally the, the follow up to Life on Mars where they did two seasons of Life on Mars they wanted to do a third season John fucking Sim wouldn't do a third season because at the time he was very he had this thing where he was like two series and out I won't do any more than that he wants to go to LA didn't yeah, yeah, yeah. so he wouldn't do season three so they went right well we want to do season three <laughs> but now we need to work back up to it. So they and they literally pretty much have gone on record as saying this in terms of season three of Ashes to Ashes is basically what season three of Life on Mars would have been. And like they had to do season one and two of that to establish a new character that they could then do the first season with. And I really like Ashes to Ashes, so that worked. But what didn't fucking work <laughs> is Star Trek fucking Picard. <laughs> Everyone is just I, it, there's a lot of shows at the minute like Obi Wan Kenobi, Boba Fett. Um, this, um, which sort of telegraph what happens when people are given access to characters and canon that they lionize, that they deify, but they didn't create. So they don't have that kind of carelessness that a creator might have. Mm. Like I always think, like the prequels, Star Wars prequels to the originals, like you only get that kind of massive difference when you're the person who's like, yeah, I made the originals, I want to do something totally fucking different. Whereas when you're trying to capture the audience mm. that somebody else once did, you're like, what did they love? They loved the lightsaber noises and they liked the John Williams theme and they liked Luke kind of going, what if he said, I'm not your father, wouldn't that be great? That kind of thing. And it's why I feel like Picard is so, so hamstrung by the um, the deification, which is why I was sort of like kind of glibly saying the whole show is about gods. You have Q, you have Sung, but you also just have these characters treating Picard like some god and in kind of increasingly comical ways. Like there's a moment, I think, later on in the series where uh, Seven of Nine and Raffi realise that the Borg Queen is off on a car battery consuming <laughs> rampage across Los Angeles and is like, oh my God, we've got to stop this. And I think Seven turns to the camera and winks and says, we need Picard. And I sort of sat bolt upright and went, why? He'll slow you down. Why? What do you need <laughs> yeah, him for? He's fucking doddering along by you. What do you need him for? And I, I kind of thought, well, calm down. Like, like maybe there'll be a plot reason. And you, then they, they get him. And it's like, no, we just need daddy. We just need daddy to tell <laughs> yeah, us what yeah, to do. Yeah. And he doesn't even. And he can't even get off a stool. And... <laughs> And so it's like, it's not just that the characters lionise him, the characters lionise him because the writers do, because the show does, because we don't know what else to do with this character. Like all we know about him is that he's a god. When he's not, he's, mm. he was a captain of a ship. And the thing is, I find it, it's funny because it's weird, isn't it? How like before we did this podcast and I was not a big fan of Star Trek, if someone went Kirk or Picard, I'd be like, oh, Picard, definitely. Like, because Patrick Stewart's a dude and everything like that. Like, yeah. Whereas now that I've watched loads and loads of Star Trek through doing this podcast, I'm like, Kirk all the fucking way. He's the fucking daddy. Like, with Kirk, like, literally, when people do treat him like a god a day and they go, oh, Captain Kirk, in like, hush tones, I'm like, yeah, I can fucking believe it. Because he's a fucking superhero. Like, I think that's what he comes across he's as. He's climbing the mountain. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he is like a comic book superhero in Star Trek original series. Mm. Whereas, like, Picard, he's not like that. He's a good captain. But I don't feel... I can't imagine him being mentioned 
in the same harsh tones because it's like what does he actually like do or achieve really over the course of the show Kirk was always sort of like the heroic soldier wasn't he and and Picard was like Horatio Hornblower he was mm. Mr. Culture in a sea of like you know I come to aboard my my sea vessel with mine classical music <laughs> and my Shakespeare collection yeah. he's king <laughs> of the nerds yeah he's king of the nerds and he's like debonair and he's the classics guy yeah yeah it's just there's just so many moments in this show where it's all like it's all about you Picard it was always all about you and it's never really clear why or, or what that means. And I don't know if it's just all the uh, Cobra Kai I've been watching. Oh, all saying that about Picard. Uh, show. Like, Let's talk about Cobra Kai. Picard <laughs> and the TNG guys are your Miyagi-Do karate. And Kirk, <laughs> Kirk and the Cobra Kai guys. Yeah, like, fucking, yeah. So I was thinking, what's another like, jock and nerd comparison of the crews? And it would be that, basically. You're totally right in terms of, yeah, Picard is pure Miyagi-Do. Picard is the like, No, no, uh, you, wait, look, you know what? I'm not going to strike first. <laughs> <laughs> He was the negotiator. He was like, he's the Obi-Wan Kenobi to Kirk's Anakin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the only reference point for anything I have in Star Wars. But yeah, it's right. Like, Picard in this whole series just kind of like sort of floats by to the point where there's multiple episodes where I'm like, what is he actually doing here? I kept, and, yeah. and the flashbacks throughout were just a real drag point to me. But I should say, I like, this series a lot more than I think either of you did or oh, maybe, no, no. maybe anyone. I think I'm more on your part. I got, I got surprised. I think going in because I didn't like season one hardly at all and then I had the really low expectations and the read all the bad stuff out there so I kind of braced myself a bit and was doing them on lunch breaks just kicking back and I was like you know what I'm kind of enjoying how straightforward and like singular this is for at least the first four or five episodes. I was like this isn't good and there's a lot here which is like bottom rung stuff but I was like I can confidently say I'm enjoying it more than one because it's taxing me less mm. but that doesn't mean it's a good show but I was like yeah there's there's stuff here this is the thing like season one we covered on the podcast previously with Dan Thomas mm-hmm. go back and listen to that episode for our thoughts on that sorry we always give you shit stuff Dan um, yeah, <laughs> yeah 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 I mean, he, yeah he, Dan also joined us for Police Academy 5 Assignment Miami Beach <laughs> which was great fun as well so yeah think yourself lucky Sophie <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> one thing I like one thing for me, one thing for the studio. <laughs> but the thing with season one is season one, I thought, was far more ingrained in lore yeah. and stuff like that. Just, and to me, season one felt like a real slog. I think season one was more, even more in debt to kind of everything that had come before and Picard as a character. And season one really was all about Picard, mm. yeah. which is always a problem. And I think this speaks to something you were talking about, Sophie, in terms of modern IP, mm. where whenever you get a well-known, well-regarded IP character now, everything has to be all about them in terms of it's no longer there's a story and that person is the hero. James Bond being a perfect example, like you look at a Sean Connery James Bond film, it's a case of Sean Connery is James Bond and he's on an adventure. Mm -hmm. Whereas now in Daniel Craig James Bond films, it's like Daniel Craig James Bond and everything revolves around him. And everything comes back to that. They're like now, like these characters to be like a homing beacon for everyone else. Yeah. Good thing. And that's how Picard season one felt. Whereas Picard season two is is still essentially all about him because it's essentially Q mm. is the puppet master and he kind of is obsessed with Picard. But because the majority of it is just the adventure, it feels less about him, like as a, a bit more kind of multifaceted. 
But this is, again, another... The whole Q thing is another thing about Mormon Fiction. In the Jokerization of yes. villains. In terms Jesus of Christ. Q <laughs> is like the Joker in terms of just like every villain now is like the Joker, where he's obsessed with his kind foil. of, you know, yeah, his, his foil. Hero, yeah. And it's all about, well, I, like you say, that thing at the end where it's like, I'm doing this for you. That's the kind of thing the Joker mm-hmm. would do mm. in terms of like, you know, we're just the same. I think we're going to be doing this dance for the rest of our lives. You know, and that's kind of now, like everyone, give me a hug. Like now, it's like Blofeld in Bond yeah. is Joker. Like, I'm the author of Audio Pen. Like, you know, <laughs> Moriarty in Sherlock God. is like Joker. It's a real And thing like that. It? Like, and it's very much, that is what the hero nemesis relationship is now yeah. in all IP kind of fiction. It's always got to be like that. Kind of this obsessive kind of like, well, I'm like, you know, I hate you, but I sort of love you maybe. Like, I think like you know, because like that's very much yeah. what this is. I think I remember like saying like I think we said before of how Star Trek Discovery being the first new Trek show was kind of trying to work it out between being episodic versus like a season long story and how since we've last talked I think Strange New Worlds has maybe done that a bit better and especially as well at Lower Decks whereas Picard season one very much felt like the other extreme or going this is not episodic at all pretty much it's just one Netflix story, story yeah time. and the story yeah. and the one that it was doing was also incredibly kind of convoluted and not very Trek like. And that was kind of jarring for season one, I think. So this one kind of dials it back a bit, but it's still not very Trek-like. <laughs> I do um, get what you're saying about this season. And that, like, uh, I remember season one was so dense mm. and so kind of ridiculous. But I think at that point, I think because I was sort of watching it at the same time as everybody else, I think coming into this with everyone being like, it's shit, <laughs> is quite something. But this definitely, this season was definitely more singular. It definitely had a more followable plot. And I'm saying that with like huge caveats. Really, I think my problem with the whole thing is um, I don't like any of the characters. Mm. And, and it's not about likability, really. But I don't, I don't respond to any of them emotionally. Mm. I'm not connected to any of them. Even with Discovery at its worst, I like Tilly. And I used to like Michael until Michael became, fucking hell, until Michael became like a guru. You know, a kind of see everything, smile through your tears, Chekhovian character. <laughs> but um, I liked um, Suru. Suru. Yeah. Um, people who you were seen with them. You know, oh, I enjoyed that scene. I like. I like that character. You know, I like. I'm invested in them. Mm. I'm. I'm excited to see what happens to them. Absolutely nobody am I connected to in Picard, and a lot of that is due to the lack of work done in season one. But also, just it's incredible how this the right and I'm talking about the writing. I'm not just talking about dialogue and i'm not just talking about the story but it's about like the method of storytelling and how the story is imparted and how the characters interact with each other and how they develop all feels like an episode of csi miami just incredibly thin so superficial you were talking about like I, it's really that that trend that you kind of highlight. I don't know. It's, it's funny. Cause it's something that I've noticed but never been able to put a finger on. That like everything has become that when we go back to old IP, it's like don't you love this character and this nemesis? Jokerization. Now they're kind of in love with each other, hate each other, and they're all about each other. Acting like we should all know who they are, and the characters in the show should know yeah. who they are, even if they don't. And that goes back to have bringing Khan into into darkness. Yeah, yes. yeah, and yeah, it's yeah, all yeah. like oh, you know, it's it's that it's that sort of. 
being very smug that the modern way of doing things is to write characters who talk about their fifis and that that's good and that everything else was bad and so you just have these cartoony characters who are supposed to be professionals I keep banging on about this whenever people start you're supposed to be professionals <laughs> and they're all just screaming at each other and going like what's wrong with you never mind and talking in these cartoonish childish silly ways god yeah I didn't gel with any of them I never found myself like looking forward to the next scene even when there was even when I could smell like tension but mm. like oh, okay I understand yeah Agnes is now th throttling seven of nine cool but I never was like what's gonna happen it leaves me completely cold I think ultimately it's a problem well it's that thing of I think in season one with the characters got away with that a bit more because they were sort of almost like this rogue ship almost like, I think at least it didn't feel like an official Starfleet thing in many ways. They kind of this, this spin off, and it was Card and Raffi, mm. and with the big Starfleet mm. people. And you got Seven and Nine, but she's mm. kind of like out Rios of her own was a cool. little bit. Rios yeah, yeah, had yeah. His, his holograms yeah. was a much cooler yeah, well, iteration of the character. All that is abandoned. Yeah. Rios was a much more interesting character. Like, in season one, I'd say Rios was the most interesting character outside of Picard. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, in terms of because he had all those hologrammatic tubes, this sort of weird multiple personality disorder type storyline. And that was all abandoned. Yeah. Because he's two. It was literally just like, nah, nah, he's just on his own. He's just in love with this nurse. Honestly, I think it's present. because the writers fancied him. I know that sounds yeah. really shallow, but like you, how these writers' rooms can often like work. Like, that, you, know, <laughs> you, you write a character and then you cast him. But then in season two, you know who that actor is now. You're like, he's so cute. Oh my God, I mean, he's I such a good actor. Good yeah. He's such a good actor. Like, Let's like, just have him. Like, oh my God, what if he met a girl? Like, oh my God, what if he had to like, Fight ice. Oh. <laughs> um, oh, fuck, I hated all that stupid shit. Well, they're basically Jesus. giving him the uh, sit on the edge of forever stuff, wasn't he? As in going back in time and meeting someone from the time period that he has to kind of save. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because like, as soon as that started happening, I was like, well, obviously he's going to fall in love and stay behind. We should talk about the overarching story of this season a little bit. So in the first episode, Picard and all his mates are on a ship. The Borg Queen seemingly attacks, or, or who they think is definitely the Borg Queen. Picard goes, right, we've got to self-destruct the ship before the Borg take over. They wake up in some sort of weird purgatory. Then John Delancey's Q turns up, says, we play the game again, Mon Capitan. Like, and then, yeah, and clicks his fingers, and suddenly they're in an alternate timeline. They see the weird kind of Nazi federation. Yeah. Q, Q has that horrible line of, how yesterday's Enterprise of you? Just like dropping in episode titles. Like, yeah, see, we know fuck? what you mean like, by I'm breaking that, the fucking it. fourth wall. Like, yeah. yeah, and so then they go back in time to yes. 2024, and that's when they've got to try and change things. Yeah. yeah, I've got like a note here like, oh, as if a right-wing totalitarian dystopia would have elected a female president. But yeah, at, yeah. The, at the end of episode two, my note says, gotta time travel again. So I guess episode three is when that starts. I think I started making notes at episode three and the... Um... And episode three is where Elnor dies, isn't it? Because is it That's that the Elnor... Yes, yes. Elnor, Elnor dies in order to for them to be able to go back in time. Yeah, he gets... Like sacrifice himself. Uh, you were very sad about him dying, weren't you? So he was the only character remotely liked because he had a character. He didn't just have characteristics. He right, wasn't okay. just... This is what I mean by CSI writing. They're all vanilla, but one of them is angry. <laughs> one of them is quirky. One of them is neurotic. One of them is hot. And Elnor felt like a slightly shite character from like Wheel of Time, but that was better than <laughs> yeah. a character from Picard. Like, I just liked that he was quite sweet. 
And again, so, but again, yeah. he didn't really feel like a character from Star Trek. No, he, he felt like, like a character Legolas. from another show. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It felt a bit Lord and But Rinsley. he was the, what, the first Romulan to join Starfleet. Or a Romulan to join Starfleet. Because I was thinking, surely he, by now they would have brought Romulan. I think he was the first Romulan. I think that, isn't that his big yeah, thing? Isn't that his storyline? Yeah. He, he was he also just nice. And, and like all these characters, I mean, there's some awful fucking, I hate this kind of dialogue, but like there's a moment in a flashback right towards the end of season two where Rafi's with Elnor and he's like, oh, nihilism, humour, you used to cover up your dark soul or whatever. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, that humour is an armour trope needs to fucking die. But like all of them... Are so narky, sarcastic, like teenage siblings. Like they're all just narky and sarcastic and quote unquote funny. And Elmore isn't any of those things, and I just enjoyed a wholesome nice boy. <laughs> yeah, he's quite earnest, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, I was like, like I like earnestness. Let's talk about the Confederation of Earth for a second. It's just the mirror universe, surely. And well, that's well, yeah. one of my major problems with this, in the sense that they introduce all that stuff. I'm like, but this is just it's the a weird thing where it's mirror universe. Where it's not, it's the Universe Prime, but something has happened in the past. And yeah, 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 yeah. But it's very mirror universe. It's like, yeah, it's existing in a show that has a mirror universe. And I think it doesn't <laughs> help because Star Trek Discovery has done so much stuff in the mirror universe. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's really recent. So it's like, if that hadn't done mirror universe stuff, then I don't think it would really matter because people would just be like, watch it now, can't remember the mirror universe, it's fine. Mm. Because Star Trek Discovery has just brought back the whole mirror universe concept in a big way and done a lot of stuff on it. It kind of feels weird to suddenly go, well, we're now an alternative Nazi timeline. We're wearing uniforms stuff which look very mirror universe but this isn't the mirror universe. Mm. This is an alternate timeline. It's just, why? Yeah. Like, it's like, come up with a new idea. Rather I mean, than I, this. I did enjoy Picard having to reckon with the fact that in this timeline, he is this kind of like, big warmonger or Genghis Khan type who's getting like awards for conquering planets it's like could we have not seen him reckon with that I don't know how what's changed in the past makes him this because it's exactly like the episode where they jump into mirror universe in Discovery season one or two season one um, when Tilly is like the god emperor Mm, Captain Killy yeah, and Captain Killy and and Michelle Yeoh is really cool, and it just it was just that story. It wasn't just that that universe again. It was the same story again, and except Agnes is still fucking neurotic. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, I remember losing my fucking mind when she did her little when she's like she's with Seven of Nine and they're doing something and John John Brions and his goons come along with guns like what are you doing here and. And she's like, oh, oh, uh, me and Seven and we were doing shots. And we call her Seven Shots Nine. <laughs> and I was like, fuck off, Agnes, please. <laughs> and she did. Her entire storyline was that she fucked off. And, well, yeah, um, this is the whole thing because... I liked it. <laughs> the Confederation of Earth stuff, you go, okay, so they need to go back in time to change this. And they do go back in time. And... I suppose they are working on changing it because the whole thing is to do with Rene Picard, isn't it? Who is a ancestor of Jean-Luc and she's going to be piloting this kind of space programme yeah, thing. Yeah, the key moment seems to be whether she ends up going on this Europa Yeah, and they've got to get her to do this Europa mission and make sure she gets there. And that's the big thing. So they're saying canonically now that her doing that is what creates the entire Star Trek world we've seen. But the, yeah. but the thing is, is just... I kind of feel... Like the Confederation versus it is completely forgotten because we never yes. go back to it. Yeah, because I totally forgot. Uh, you, I totally forgotten that that was an episode in season two. <laughs> yeah, and I totally forgot what the connection yeah. was because it feels so standalone episode. Well, because yeah. by the time yeah. you get to episode four, that they're in twenty twenty four and that's gone. And obviously, it's a ten episode series. And the thing is, is just 
really the whole season is them trying to stop that future because we never go back to it really to go like just remind us like go back at some point to go like oh yeah remember there's this awful alternate timeline like or no one from the, the alternate timelines try to come back to stop them that would have been interesting we can't just forget about it and then it's just kind of because uh, the Borg Queen is about as well and she melds with Gerati, and then she sort of becomes the big bad of the series. So, so here's the thing. So I thought, so uh, watching it from in in a rapid hellish binge, episodes three to ten in the last few days, <laughs> um, my understanding was that they had gone back in time against their will, which is wrong. That's not what happens. <laughs> But now that they're back in time, they realise that there are all these villains who are also back in time who are trying to change the future, and now they have to stop that. Which, in a way, is more straightforward than... You, you sort of feel mm. like that they have told you these two stories. One, where we've seen the future, we have a whole episode dedicated to seeing the future, and it's so bad that we're going to go back in time and change it. But, oh no, there's someone back here who's already trying to change it. Who mm. it's, it's not clear... What you you kind of think that there might have been a version where it was sort of either or, where like either it was changed and you've got to go and find what that change was, but they seem to have brought the change with them. Yeah, so, because yeah. really the Borg Queen thing is sort of separate because really yeah. she's just got her own agenda. She melds with Gerati somehow, and then she kind of takes over Alison Pill's character. Gerati becomes more interesting by being oh, the Borg can Queen. Can I ask a question? Yes. <laughs> Is Agnes called Agnes Gerati? Yeah. Or is that somebody... Okay, because... Dr. Agnes Gerati. Fine, because sometimes they call her Agnes and sometimes they call her Gerati and and they all were like, we're family, we're family. I'm like, none of my friends oscillate between <laughs> calling me Petzl or Sophie. <laughs> um, and like, it's Gerati. And I go, who the fuck is that? And like, oh, it's Agnes. But like, why? Sometimes they call her Agnes and stuff. Uh, yeah, anyway, okay, never mind. I think this is... Maybe it means this to me because I think it's a very guy thing especially Pets. a guy from from back when you're young to call each other by second names. We used to do that in school. And stuff so like yeah. like literally like Matt, I for you just called bruvs or brother. Yeah. I, like, I literally there was about I, I met Matt in two thousand three. I would say there was at least ten years where I never <laughs> once ever called you Matt. Matt. Like well, literally maybe just went, bruvs, when we brothers. might have been hanging out with my mum or something and go, Oh Matt said or did this the other day well that's the and thing I, I think I, I went bruvs I, like, I think I probably went bruvs did this and she went who and then I went <laughs> Matthew your son like <laughs> literally like for years and years it was years. weird yeah I think yeah because I was like oh no I do have friends who will go like oh pets or stuff like that but I don't know I think I just never clocked that any of them there's no kind of consistency there's no like oh when we're being affectionate we call mm. her Agnes it was just sometimes it was Gerati I was like who the fuck is Gerati yeah. I've been seeing her as Agnes yeah, yeah Agnes like, Gerati perhaps if they called her Dr Gerati it yeah. would make more sense. Like, can you yeah. imagine Picard being formal like Doctor Gerardi? Yeah, but like, it was like uh, seven yeah. girls like Gerardi, don't do this. And I'm like, but you're appealing to her, the woman. Why aren't you calling her Agnes? Plus, by that point, she's basically taken over by the Borg Queen. Yeah. So you may as well just be going Borg Queen. Please don't do please, this. Please, please, <laughs> so you get a lot of these kind of scenes where it's like a character talking to the person that's now inside them, and are they there? They're not really there, and that's another trope we've seen quite a lot of. And it was just a weird pairing for it to be Agnes, who is like almost the comic relief of the show from season one, or at least well, the one who's like, well, who's more like more quirky and lighthearted. Meant versus to like be the comic versus like half of a Borg queen, who's like been one of the most 
formidable villains there's been. Well, we should say this is Alison Pill, who I would say is... The best uh, actor, probably, out of all of them. Well, outside of Patrick Stewart and, uh, you know, I suppose Jerry Ryan, uh, probably the most well-known actor on the show. Yeah. Uh, because Alison Pill, if you look at her back catalogue, she's a bit like, in terms of Star Trek... The female Anton Yelchin, in terms of she'd done loads of really interesting mm. indie film projects outside of Star Trek. Like, by the time she gets to Picard, I remember when she was announced, almost felt like, oh, you're almost lucky to get her. Yeah. Like, in terms of, like, she feels like she's got her own fan base. She feels like she's done lots of really cool, interesting, quirky films. And stuff <laughs> like, that. like, obviously, we do Afraid of the Podcast called Spotlight of the Movies, where we look at a film, feature a member of Star Trek alumni, either in front or behind the camera. Alison Pill, I checked a fucking load of Alison Pill mm-hmm. films on there, because she's done loads of cool fucking shit. Snowpiercer, so, yeah. You, yeah. yeah, you yeah. think she's like, I re-watched Snowpiercer the other day, fucking fantastic. She's the uh, kindergarten teacher in it who pulls out a fucking Uzi, <laughs> yeah. like, great. And literally, you feel like she's almost too good for it. I think in both seasons, she's essentially the the secret bad guy of the show. Because I think in season one, she's like sort of undercover, isn't she? Mm. And then season two, obviously, she's possessed by the ball queen. And it kind of felt like they went, oh, we've got to give Alison more to do. Like in this in this season, because now she's possessed by the ball queen. Once the ball queen goes inside her, it is basically her being the ball queen Mm. for the rest. It's not the other actress who plays the ball queen kind of steps down apart from being in her head occasionally. And it's mostly Alison Pill being the physical representation of the ball queen. Mm. So she gets to play multiple roles. Plus, of course, it is Alison Pill who gets to sing, non-consensually sing. Yeah, which I had to fast forward. I think it's in episode six that she gets to sing. Yeah, well, like mid-season we get what is essentially this like Mission Impossible thing. Mm. Yes. It's it's a classic. We've got to get into a fancy gala. do a bit of heist thing yeah yeah and there's the teams there and then you know you've got basically Simon Pegg typing back in base uploading the files Mm. you know and as they're about to get caught the only way to distract everyone is Alison Pill in her cleavage red dress singing Surrender all your dreams to me tonight. I just remember thinking, like, Jesus Christ, what is this show? A quick sidebar about Agnes Girati, because um, this is something that I found incredibly bizarre about the character in season one and found even more here. Because when we talk about her being sort of comic relief, mm. and even if we, I don't find her funny, mm. like, in the ways you go, yes, I can see that. But... The bleakest shit that happens in the whole show always happens to her. And because she can act, they'll always have her covered in blood and guts, scream crying. And like that bit in this season where she kills the Bork Queen because she was trying to kill, she was trying to strangle oh, some guy. Cop, like you came in, She's yeah. like, I lost my mind and covered in blood and guts. And then the next minute she's like making gags about how awkward she is. <laughs> it's it's a, a real tonal nightmare. And you just feel like, She's a character in a horror movie, really. Not, not the comic relief. She's sort of Chucky, yeah, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. She's just mad. <laughs> well, another thing I wondered is: are any of these characters, this supporting cast that they've built up for Picard, going to be in season three? 
Well, no, because season three is just the TNG now. cast, and it feels like they sort of wrap up those characters at the end of this season, doesn't it? Because it's kind of like Alison Pill's now essentially Borg Queen, so she's gone. I mean, I know she makes a sort of agreement that the Borg are sort of going to join the Federation, which I think is weird anyway, but like, you know, fine. That's that's the kind of thing that happens in Star Trek. Bad guys get rehabilitated and they you know, join. It's funny, for a while, I was kind of up on my high horse about this. This is another modern fucking trope of bad guys have to be redeemed yes. and then join the good guys. It's the Fast and Furious thing. <laughs> Every bad guy eventually becomes So a good is guy. the gang as a family. Yeah, exactly. You're fat to family. I'm like, fuck off, you're colleagues. Hey. Yeah, yeah, that is, yeah, that's not it's, 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 it's weird how much effect Fast and Furious has had on uh, kind of genre storytelling because it is, yeah, that, that, that family thing has definitely become uh-huh. a big thing. Like, Finch's all family. And it's become a bit... They probably say that in this show. They do. They, were, the yeah, yeah, when they cheers at the bar at the end and forward, fast forward or forward ten or whatever it's called. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and they're like, to family, because that's what we are. Yeah. It's Picard's line. And I just went, Jesus Christ, Fast and Furious a lot <laughs> to apologise for. Yeah. J- yeah. Justin Lin directing uh, Star Trek Beyond. Yeah, yeah, that's true. There's the connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Synergy. But also, the thing Lin- of, Lin- yeah, <laughs> bad guys becoming good guys... And at first, with the Borg Queen, when it started being Alison Pill, like in in her head, appealing to the Borg Queen and being like, "Come on, like you know, we could be good and everything like that." I was like, "Oh, for fuck's sake, just let the Borg Queen be fucking evil." She was cool as fucking First Contact. Oh, that was really like First Contact, which is my favourite Star Trek film, by the way. As listeners who listen to our ranking episode will remember, but obviously the Borg Queen that is super creepy. There's this weird sexual element to her, which is really fucking creepy and weird. She played by Alice Krieg in um, the film. She's excellent. And now it's like, oh, don't make the Borg Queen fucking good. She's evil. Just let her be evil. It's fine. Like, But now I'm kind of like, nah, that is the Star Trek thing. All bad guys, like we said, Romulans, they used to be opposition yeah, yeah. to the thing. Like now it's always a case of Klingons, Romulans, mm-hmm. no matter who you are, Eventually, you get accepted into yeah. Starfleet, and it's all fine. And at some point, there'll be a Borg mm. member of so apart from Severin Nine, who is kind of like half and half, isn't she? Like yeah. going like yeah. well, this, is, this is the this is the thing of of the question I had by the end of it of like, is there's a brand new timeline? Or are we saying that everything that we've seen in Star Trek's history was born from the way? things went so are we saying yeah. that the Borg it's got to be that it's got to be that are we that. saying that the Borg Queen this whole time has essentially been Alison Pill's version it's got to be that surely otherwise because it's just otherwise it everything. just it yeah. just affects everything there's too <laughs> many fucking shows now and I know a lot of the shows are set in the past Oh. When it's like that, but you can't go now or rewrite it, it affects too yeah. much. Wait, is that we saying the Borg Queen in first contact? Yeah. Well, yeah, are we saying that the one who was in first contact has memories of being Agnes and doing shit with Picard in the 2024 or, or not? You know, it's like, oh, yeah, oh, I don't know. I oh, don't care. God, why, why, why? <laughs> yeah. Because it is that thing of well, I guess. Are there any other shows apart from Picard right now that are set this far in the future? No, but well, Discovery is, but Discovery is too far in the future so basically it doesn't matter anymore so I guess it could fucking change everything but I, you I don't even think doesn't. they've really I don't think that I I didn't it took me ages to try and work out is the woman who's playing the Borg Queen the same woman who played the Borg Queen it's, it's not the same it's not, it's not no, Alice Creek, is no, it no. Um, I mean I think the greatest crime against humanity here was how they 
fucking done dirty the ball queen. They sassified her. <laughs> they teen dramaed her. Uh. I think the worst thing I've ever heard in my life was to use your accrued colloquialism. Bullshit. Oh yeah, um, I was like, I couldn't believe that. Nearly, I nearly had a seizure hearing that. And um, again, because I've whined about this in so many ways on so many media, but um, that teenification of dialogue in Star Trek in particular is so fucking jarring and in this season in particular oh, yeah. um, bad here. there's a sequence there's an episode in um, so the Borg Queen generally I took such an issue with how she became sort of sassy and again <laughs> snarky dry desert wit um, but the one that really kind of took me by surprise was um, when Fast forward and uh, Picard are being interrogated by the FBI agent in a basement. He was talking like such a strange little man child that I thought, oh, he's like Q, isn't he? Mm. Or he's an alien, isn't mm. he? And then it's like, oh no, he's the boy at the beginning who saw an alien. And he, he's just an FBI agent. Well, um, he's Dutch from the Shield. Oh, I've never seen this. Yeah, wow, yeah, yeah. The, the guy, the FBI agent, is Dutch from the Shield. Like the main. You know how to cop the main detec- the detective who's partnered with CCH Pounder. Uh, in the uh, show, I mean, he's fucking Can't amazing. Yeah, he's <laughs> <laughs> he's fucking amazing in the Shield, and the Shield is an incredible show. Let's talk about the Shield. Anyway, forget Picard. The Shield is fucking <laughs> incredible. What a show! Go check that yeah. out, Sophie. Go watch the Shield. Yeah, yeah, Shield. yeah you're right because that time comes at a moment when Picard and Young Guy and they're like trying to conjure or summon a cue, which I guess is something they can do. And then the second they do it, this random guy comes down the stairs. So I was like, oh, he's oh, going to be because he's another one of Q's species or something. Question one: Aliens do the and, yeah. and I was like, but 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 why why are you talking like this? Why are you talking <laughs> like a child? And Picard being like, finally about time someone. Got... It's it's like it's all been. <laughs> And I made a note, and I was actually, uh, I thought, uh, the note I made was the only believable part of this sequence is the, is the, the lack of critical thinking faculties in the FBI agent. <laughs> At this juncture, I feel like I should list, because I wanted to make a point of this, the things that I did like up until, we've sort of reached, we, when you were doing your summary, you sort of got to the midpoint, didn't you? Do it. So here's the thing that I liked. <laughs> Quote, the time warp must have drained her. <laughs> Which I, that made me laugh, because I, I think they were... Who says first, this? Uh, Picard over the corpse of the Borg Queen at some point before Agnes shoots her to death, uh-huh. where they they travelled through time and the time travel we, drained her. But I just imagined we've all been drained by time. We've warp. all we've all done the time warp again, <laughs> and sometimes you can do the time warp too many times. And um, what was my other thing? <laughs> There's um, only one I want. One thing. Oh no, the other one was uh, Picard's self destruct sequence. Picard zero 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 destruct zero made me laugh out loud because it sounded exactly like when your granny's bought a new phone and she can't remember her pin so you, you change it to zero 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 it's also exactly the sequence from um, Spaceballs um, when they're trying to access her royal highness's match luggage and he has to give over they torture him into giving over the, the code at zero 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 it should have just been password but can't so Password. Picard zero 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 destruct zero. So yeah, so far those were the things that I liked. <laughs> those are the uh, the two things. Yes. That you um, were like. I thought yeah. I, did, I liked all the women's hair. At one point there was a scene where all of them had incredible hair. Forgiven what they were going through, like um, Seven of Nine's hair was perfectly crimped. Raffi's hair was coiled beautifully and not a hair out of place, and somebody else had an incredible do as well. And I was like, all of you, what the fuck? <laughs> I think everyone on the show has great hair apart from Picard, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, to be honest. 
But one thing I will say about all the supporting cast is it felt like they had even less to do, less character development mm -hmm. than in season one. Because really a lot of them didn't change much. As well. Agnes Girardi, she obviously has the big thing where she melded the ball queen. But Seven and Nine and Raffi, they essentially just have their romance, which was established in season one. Mm. Like by the end of season one, they're sort of holding hands. You know that there's you know a romance building between them. And in season two, they sort of build upon that. But really, Seven and Nine, out of everyone, you think she'd get a lot to do because the Borg Queen is back. Uh -huh. So you think surely that's a big thing for Seven and Nine, the Borg Queen's back. There may be even a kind of, you know, a weird thing where maybe the Borg Queen can kind of take control of her or she's kind of like, oh my God, the, like my loyalty's torn between the Borg Queen and Picard or, you know, or something. But none of that happens. It's just kind of like she's just there, they fight and stuff like that, but nothing really happens between them. But you have that moment where Raffi tries to encourage Seven to use her Borg powers to um, figure out where the Borg Queen might be. And there's an incredibly awful sort of latter-day Doctor Who moment where they sort of call a halt to the plot to introduce character dynamics. <laughs> um, I had to rewind it because I thought I'd missed something. There, she, Raffi is saying to Seven, like, use your Borg magic to sense, to sense the Queen's location, stretch out with your feelings. And then Seven, like, reacts really badly to this and is like, what the fuck are you, fuck you, fuck you. And Raffi says something like, you know, oh, do you be Seven or something. And she goes, who's that to you anyway? <laughs> and, and I was like, sorry, what? I, I had to rewind. Like, what? I, it, it's one of those where like somebody's gone, and we now need this argument to really become about them. But th there's absolutely no thematic correlation between what they're actually arguing about and what you want it. And also, yeah. And also, there's just nothing going on in any meaningful. Like, now's not the time. Really. Now's not the time. But also, the, now is not the writing. It's not whatever it is going on between them is not sort of made manifest deeply or meaningfully enough for it to like ring through in subtext so they just have to you, when you can't you don't have enough for subtext you have to bring the text to a halt to introduce new text <laughs> and so it suddenly goes like do you like me or not is basically yeah. what she comes out saying and she's like what, what and then starts accusing her of manipulating people and they have this there's a lot of weird intercutting in the show anyway that's kind of a good way of putting it where it's like it goes from text to other text yes as opposed to subtext it's yeah because like, there is no subtext because pause, they've not done the work hop tracks hop yeah. back yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah well they've never done the work for their romance full stop in my opinion it's just at no. the end of season one it's just that they're hanging out for the whole season they're, they're, car, holding <laughs> they're car holding hands and then in season two they're sort of in a relationship this is my own naivete, and you are a big Voyager fan, Sophie. Mm -hmm. Did they ever establish in Voyager that um, Severa Nine is bisexual? Or, or has a sexuality? Or I don't think so. I feel like if she did have any... She she definitely went on some practice dates because there was one with a doctor right. who was trying to teach her how to mm. date, and I can't remember if that was on the holodeck. Right. Uh, and it was with a man because it was the 90s. Right, okay. um, I always... I, and I always felt that Seven was sort of enjoyably sexless for all that you know, yes, for all that yeah. they tried to really you know she was in a fucking leotard the entire time there's something about Jerry Ryan's you know gravitas the depth of her voice the way mm. she carried herself she, she, it, what, she wasn't a sort of um, 
Uh, I don't know. Like, just she wasn't... was kind of sexualized as an actor yeah. all the time. Yeah, but the, but the character, character was. Well, that's yeah. all. Of, that's yeah. all the joke, almost, isn't it? It's like basically you've got her at the time. She's literally one of the sexiest people on television, mm. but her character is sexless. Like yeah. that's sort of the joke. Which is why I like. Because I used to like her. Like, and I would always be kind of put off by like the super hot mm. characters. But I always liked Seven because she. I think she was like a fish out of water. And mm. back and when she... the casts were like, you had the one hot one. Yeah, you as had the one. Everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when Tom. <laughs> Paris was the hot one. Oh, absolute fucking madness. Breadcrumbs, yeah. And now they're all a discovery. We watch it, you go, Jesus Christ, you're all so fucking beautiful. Do you not look at each other and go, how did we all end up here? We're all in the same course at uni. Where's the absolute troll who like does the engineering? Yeah, but this yeah. is the thing, seven and nine, like, um, the reason I said not because I've got any issue whatsoever with with that kind of relationship being established, absolutely fine. I, I wish it had been built up in a more convincing way, but, you know, like, I've no issue with the idea of it, but what I was saying is from the Star Trek Voyager that I have watched, for me, I've always been absolutely amazed by the on-screen chemistry between Kate Mulgrew and Jerry Ryan in Voyager. I think they crackled. Because they hated each other. With fucking tension. Oh, did they, the actresses, they hated each other. They hate each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, by all accounts, and obviously this is just me reading forums <laughs> and shit, Kate Mulgrew hated Jerry Ryan, and Jerry Ryan just felt deeply abused by the whole thing, I think. Oh, shit. Well, I had no idea about that, but certainly in episodes like Latent Image, where they're having big debates over the hologramic doctor mm. and his rights and stuff like that, I think their tension crackles off the fucking yeah. screen. I think, uh, like, literally, when, I was, when I've watched episodes with now them, kiss. and they've got big <laughs> scenes, I've been like, if they started kissing... I'd be like, yeah, I totally, yeah, I totally yeah. believe it, because it really feels like they've got a really interesting, mm. quite so intense when you're trying to pretend like relationship. It's not a thing, and it makes it mm. more of a thing. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. As opposed to this, where it's very spoon fed in. Yeah, like, this just feels like uh, it's just thrown in. Whereas with Janeway, I was like, yeah, I really feel there's a relationship. Well, yeah. I'd never really put my finger on it before, but I had always noticed, particularly when I'd been rewatching it, like over the last year or so. That like whenever I mean Janeway does this with everybody. She has a very sort of Janeway's very kind of sexual. Thing. She's got a real je ne sais quoi. She's got a real sexiness, and she stands very close is it to the, everybody. It's the huskiness. It's the huskiness, but she also stands very close to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> like whenever she she talks to me, she kind of looks them up and down with just her eyes and goes like, "Tell me, you're you know, what do you feel about that?" <laughs> you know, she when she sort of unpacks or you know what it dresses down. I was gonna say undresses when she dresses down like her colleagues for whatever. She's always really close to them. And it's always quite sizzly. I think what was interesting about Seven then was Seven was a bit Vulcan-esque in that she was from the Borg, so she didn't have a huge amount of... Ex- she wasn't very expressive, mm. whereas Janeway was. And Janeway's always like, I want you to like access your feelings. And you're, so you're like, yeah, actually, there was a sort of crackling kind yeah. of... A natural chemistry between two, char- two characters who were very different and, and they've got very different performance styles. Again, mm. because Picard, everyone is just funny and sarcastic. And Jerry Ryan is now allowed to act a bit more like a human, but I think yeah, because she's not acting like she did in Voyager. No, because think... it's meant to be she's now way more. Human-esque. Yeah, I do but... think you've lost something with that, though. That I can understand why you've done that, like because you know how many years have passed and the character is now living on Earth and so much time has moved on. But 
I feel like something there gets lost. But yeah, there is zero chemistry between her and Raffi. Though the, if we're going to say anything about it is like remotely progressive, it's the fact that their dynamic is effectively what's usually reserved for the cishet couple on any TV show. The man and the woman who share enough screen time end up together. Um, yeah, that's true. You're that's like, true. You're like, oh, well, cool. They're just getting together because they've spent all their Because they really together. are the main relationship, essentially. Yeah. Main romance on the show, really. Yeah. Because, I mean, you've got Picard and all Irish of Brady's movie. character, Laris. Mm. But that's very, like, I mean, especially in this season, it's basically the beginning of the season and the end of the season because for the majority of the season, all of Brady is playing Talon, mm. who's another... Like, what the fuck? Was she meant to be... She's uh, like... Laris's ancestor? She, or, uh, it no sounds idea. like she's like the, like the TVA from Loki or something. It's like, we're here to make sure the future doesn't get fucked up. But why does she look the same as Laris? That's what I didn't yeah. That's the thing, because I was like, who is she? Because <laughs> she fucking dies. She dies in Picard's arms. And that's another thing where it's like, this is a very modern Multiverses. Variants. So it's that thing of going, there's loads of variants of people, so nothing matters anymore because this character died, but she's back two seconds later. Yeah. Who cares? Like, I don't, like <laughs> yeah, I don't care about this character dying. What the fuck? I need a beer. Do you want <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, if you finish your beer. Uh, I've got a bit left. Okay, cool. That's fine. We haven't even got, we haven't even talked about like the fucking ice stuff. Right, okay. Oh, tell yes. tell us about the ice stuff. Ice oh. monologue, please. Jesus Christ. I, I don't really know how, I feel like I don't have the words to articulate this without sounding a bit like a, I hate woke things because that's just not true. So. Low hanging fruit, right? This, this <laughs> they, they jump back in time to 2024. Clearly the point is similar to how Star Trek in the past jumped back into the 40s was to shine a light on recent history, present day, or historical things that we, that we think we understand, shine a contemporary light on it through the lens of characters come from the future who are from a utopia. So you have these characters jump back into 2024 and they encounter things, which is basically, let's call it present day. So they encounter things like global warming and they encounter things like ICE, which is the immigration and control and immigration and control enforcement or whatever, you know, the, the, fasc the fascisti in America. And um, we have these yeah, we have these characters introduced to these sort of modern concerns and they encounter them like characters who come from a utopia which just feels so fundamentally untrue <laughs> given everything we've experienced with the Picard characters and with mm. New Trek which seems distinctly non-utopic. Um, so to come back and to be as naive and unsophisticated in their dealing with things like ice like you're just a, you just think that you can go around with a badge and a gun and oh punch in the face it's just so in not that this isn't me begging for a nuanced sophisticated take on ice you know like, i really think we need to treat ice with more sophistication um it just felt again like a child's iteration yeah. of the subject the way that rios deals with these people and how, oh yeah, what he accuses them of is so mm. unsophisticated. It's almost like, do it better or don't bring it up. <laughs> yeah, and, and the, the bit that I couldn't believe was when they all, they're on the prison bus and then they blow it up and they're like, go, you're free. And I'm like, what the fuck? In reality, how are these people are going to be going, um, and go where? They will all be hunting for me and I will be shot and killed. Like, what, I am not leaving this bus. What have you fucking done? I, I, it reminded me of the old Jewish proverb of like, if you, you know, that you never ever save a life without taking full responsibility for it. And so I was always like, you've literally just, you've, you've freed these prisoners, you've made them commit a crime and now you're like, off you go, be free. Ha ha. It was all just very happily ever after. Yeah. And you're like completely ignorant of the reality of that. And it was just so mm. cartoonish. I just like the Wild yeah, West. It it's like now you're me. free and there's no consequences. Yeah. yeah, well that's it. It reminds me of uh, has everyone seen Crash? 
the notorious Paul Haggis Oscar winning I thought about Crash film. when I saw this. Yeah, well, the end of that is, I think it's ludicrous, I think, at the end, um, from Fast and Furious, funny <laughs> like, who is literally, that. he is like a driver for like illegal immigrant kind of like smuggling kind of thing. And uh, the big thing at the end, his big redemption is that he lets a load of eagle, illegal immigrants go who are going to get like fucked over. And he's like, oh no, I'm not having this. And lets them all go. Like, there's these big shots of, like, all these, like, immigrants kind of, like, left out on the street being, looking around at the big, wide US world, like, oh, wow. And then it cuts back to Ludacris, like, in his van, being like, ha, ha, yeah, I've I done. did real good. <laughs> and then, like, leaves. And it's like, mate, all those people are just going to fucking die on the streets. Like, what? they're just going to get arrested in a second anyway. Like, what do you think is going to happen? There's no system in place. <laughs> they're just fucked now. Like, the cops are going to come along in a minute You're and go, what and the fuck them. are you doing here? And batter them. Also, yeah. like, like, literally, you haven't done anything. <laughs> there was a moment where I think he's in the prison cell and he yells at this ice guard who's sort of, again, cartoonishly evil. And you know, they are in real life cartoonishly evil as well. So it's, it's a weird balance. But, um, <laughs> but he says, like, what the hell is wrong with you people? And I thought, like, well, this is the problem, isn't it? Because that you're telling me that you come from a world where you don't know exactly what's wrong with these people. And the thing I always thought was, you know, good about, say, Picard back in the day was that even though they lived in this new utopia, mm. they were very historically educated. Mm. Like, he wasn't, he didn't walk up to Nazis and go, what's wrong with you people? You're <laughs> just bullies. He knew exactly what was wrong because he'd learned history. Yeah. And he sort of felt like, like Rios has literally just stepped into this world completely clueless about what racism is, completely clueless. So first of all, there's a degree of historical ignorance going on here, especially when Seven and Raffi are walking around going, what is car? What is racism? <laughs> what is global warming? And you're like, what? Picard, Picard seems to be a bit more lit literate about this stuff. There's a degree of historical ignorance, which is kind of, okay, fine. But it's also, there's this implication that, oh, we're back in utopic world. With, but I think it's like whoever, they're not writing that understanding that all of that kind of dopey ignorance came from the fact that they lived in a utopia. So they've just applied that to this, going, they've mm. gone in the past, they've gone back to the past, they've gone, oh, isn't this weird? N no, I mean, everything about these characters screams that they've come from this war-torn, haggard, shitty life. They, I don't believe for a second that Chris Rios doesn't know what racism is and doesn't know what border control is. That's just not the universe that they've set up, mm. really. It's not Kirk's enterprise. It's not next gen. We're like, oh, we've just created all this time to be culturally beneficiaries of, of our of our freedom. So just all of that rang so untrue, and then just bigger than that, it just felt so yeah. tackily handled. They can reflect on the way that it's different from where they are without it being so like, what is this? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. It's the what shock. Racism? But perhaps, perhaps it's meant to reflect what's happening right now. Where in America they're trying to stop things like slavery being taught in schools because they don't want to concentrate on their own crimes of history. So maybe they try to be like, yeah, actually Picardos, but by the time you get Rios, they're like, nah, 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 we haven't taught you any of that. Rios, like, you don't uh, know about all this because yeah, they stopped you from learning. Yeah, they, exactly. Like, like, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, I, yeah there's no. Um, I just feel like none of this has been written with any kind of um, intellect. Like, I feel yeah. like it's a show that's totally void of intellect it's and, and, and thought. And mm. again, who gives a shit in most shows? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's not a criticism I level at most. Like, TV does not have to be intellectual, but Star Trek kind of always was. It was always a slightly heady show. And, and I feel like this is one of my biggest complaints about New Trek is that it's sort of become... 
it's not even that it's action adventure because I love the J.J. Abrams movies. Like, I don't mind the action adventure version. It's become a pretender to intellect. It's like what a it's like what a teenager thinks yeah, a clever yeah. thing sounds well, like. Well, it's funny because even OG Trek in the 60s was never, like, subtle with its messaging. Mm. No. But then the way it went about, like, destructing it, uh, de- deconstructing it all was. Yeah. Um, in a way that this is... And it was action adventure. The, the thing is, right, is the original series is like an action adventure yeah. series. Like, Kirk is going around, yeah. ripping his shirt, fucking fighting people with a two-handed punch. Yeah, if Gene like, Roddenberry had 2022 budgets and effects, it would yeah. be yeah. like that. But know? he, would, but the messaging they were like, it was incredibly progressive at the time. Mm-hmm. I'm really forward-thinking. And obviously, as we often talk about the original series and our love for it, is they're laying down templates for basically sci-fi as a concept like every episode kind of thing like you know these big templates and i think to me there is a purity to those original series episodes which everything after slightly lacks where they became far more cerebral and almost like overthinking things a little bit Mm. kind of thing because this is very much Picard is closer to something like TNG than it is to something like TOS at the end of the day. And I feel like really everything, it's weird how they keep trying to bring things back to the TOS timeline because they know that really most people on the street, if you ask them about Star Trek, they'll still say Kirk and Spock. Mm -hmm. They, They know that is the real touchstone. So they keep trying to bring things back that era, like Discovery touches upon that, Strange New Worlds, all that kind of stuff. But actually, in tone, everything Star Trek has followed on from TNG, which is a far more, we often talk, we've talked about it on this show, it's like, you know, from our outsider view of TNG feel like such fucking nerds compared to the <laughs> original series crew, which feel far more full of kind of just verve yeah. and spunk and like and also humanity. Like Kirk, like even like we, we went and saw Star Trek Motion Picture uh, the other night and fucking hell remind me how amazing William Shatner is in that film. Kirk. See that beautiful 4K face on a massive screen. Yeah, oh yeah. my god, he looks amazing. Uh, somehow he aged massively between that film and Rothel Carr. <laughs> he's so handsome. He's yeah, so handsome. And he still looks great in motion picture. And there is something hugely charming and human about him in a way that he feels... I think the reason why I still connect to Kirk so much is because... Kirk feels like a guy you could meet now in a bar or something like that who's just incredibly progressive. Whereas Picard and always lot feel, they do feel separate. They do feel like this weird, like, you know, when Star Trek First Contact, uh, Picard is walking around going like, you know, we now live in this like non-Skartian society and we, we, you know, we don't do it for the money, we do it for the progression of humanity and stuff like that. It does feel like different species mm. to the people we are now. So it's hard sometimes to connect and that feels like what they've modelled everything else on since, yeah. you know? Despite the fact that we talk about Discovery, these characters act like teenagers and stuff, they still have that weird, slightly disconnected, mm-hmm. don't actually feel quite flawed and human as we do. And it always used to be that Star Trek was very traditional sci-fi in that like, they would make messages about the now, but by viewing it through a sci-fi lens. So... If it did focus on current day concerns, it would look at it with a futurist's eye. It would be, but most of the time, mm. Star Trek, I thought, was always about horizon scanning. It was looking at 
tomorrow's issue. Today's issue at the 60s was racism and rather than having, I mean I have not, I'm not really fluent on TOS so like it might be there were loads of episodes about racism is bad but I feel like they just put a black woman you on the screen. You leave that bigotry on the bridge. But they just, <laughs> they just put a black woman on the screen and that was it. Um, and like whereas I feel like today's version is we have a trans character in Discovery and they're still having to explain what pronouns are and I feel like the more radical version of that is <laughs> no and you find out what tomorrow's thing is is that yeah. we have a tree person or something <laughs> like what's tomorrow's science fiction and so and that's been my issue with mm. New Trek for a bit that's you've very... got to treat today's issues as normal and every if day you want to be ra- in you... the future yeah and, and, and yeah. My, my issue with New Trek has been that it's very very and a lot of contemporary culture, but I think because of the times we live in, uh, very inward looking, very contemporary focused, very preoccupied with modern day concerns in a way that's going to date them very quickly. And Picard 2 felt like a huge crystallisation of that issue in that it actually is set mm. now, talking exactly about now, having the characters look down the camera at us and go, God, why aren't you all twats? And we're like, yeah, we know. <laughs> yeah, like, we, there, we are. There's like, no kind of, there's no sci-fi lens there at all, yeah. which is why I think a lot of it felt like CSI LA because yeah. they're just fucking cops running around LA. They're just running um, around the Paramount backlot. Like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we haven't got the budget this season. <laughs> Try to save on budget. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, I mean, the thing is with, with TS, what I was just mentioning there was, and I think this is a perfect song, like, you're right. Uhura was just on the bridge. That's never mentioned. It's just like, there's a black woman on the bridge. It's fine. Mm. Whereas the original pilot, which was unaired at the time with Pike, has a woman on the bridge and Pike actually goes, I'm still getting used to a woman on the bridge. Yeah. It's like, what? In the 21st fucking century, mate? Yeah. Okay, <laughs> let me, let me <laughs> kill myself. Uh, whereas when Kirk comes on the actual series and you've got a hura, it's just, she's just there. But the thing is, there's an episode uh, where the Romulans turn up and obviously Romulans look very like Vulcans. Mm. And there's a character on the bridge who shows basically racism against Spock because he looks like a Romulan and Romulans are the enemy because they need um, someone to translate like some Romulan language. And he's like, maybe you should ask Spock. And Kirk immediately tells him, he's like, what was that? Yeah. Like, I think, like, yeah. And he's like, uh, I don't know, sir. And he's just like, you keep that bigotry off the bridge. It's perfect because it's talking about something which obviously doesn't exist, mm-hmm. like a racism between alien species. Yeah, but it's going like, oh, that works in terms of we understand what that is because mm-hmm. we experience that now with things like terrorism, stuff like people assuming that people from like Middle Eastern kind mm-hmm. of backgrounds might be terrorists or something like that. So we get the idea. But it's because it's involving two alien species, it still feels yeah. future. And that's a great, great fucking scene because of that. And I know I know people disagree disagree with me on this. Like I've discussed this with people like ad nauseum. But so my reaction to the that unaired pilot moment, like still getting used to a woman on the bridge, is fucking hell that's depressing. Like yeah. if that had been the series, I'd be going in what in in a thousand years time you're still fucking getting you that's not sci-fi to me that's depressing as shit and that's not being relevant and talking about our contemporary Mm. like that's being overly focused on the now in a way that would Mm -hmm. date it and but if we're watching that now as we do we go fucking hell that's weird and i contemporary playing dress up as yeah exactly and i I come to sci-fi to be like what's the future like not to be and i know a lot of people like oh but it's representation on tv but i think i think with sci-fi we can become really preoccupied with like 
it's a TV show and what's most important is like who I see on it and not what we do with that. Mm. Like, okay, yes, of course, it, it's important to have a diverse casting and what have you. Absolutely. It, it just don't live so heavily in the present yeah. that it's fucking depressing. Because you're sci-fi, you have the chance to have the representation, but then also the show where it could be and yeah. do new stuff with it. Mm. You're not a contemporary show with representation having to address it now because uh, it's the future. A lot of that is also in like, look at what we're talking about, guys. Look at what we're talking about. Look at who we're representing. Aren't we good? Aren't <laughs> we the multi-billion dollar conglomerate good to you, the people yeah. who will spend money? And it's like, fine, fine, You're fine. You're making it sound like Bane now. It's like, yeah. are we even back to you? Ooh, the people. Fine. <laughs> fine, fine. I love you representing me. Represent me, daddy. I mean, it's weird when like the whole thing they have to change is the whole Rene, uh, Rene Picard storyline when it feels like, to me, the idea of bringing, like accidentally bringing the Borg back into the past when they can assimilate a fresh um, challenge is like a really interesting idea. Is you know? the bigger threat, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. like a really good, like great stakes so they can essentially assimilate humanity about without, you know, opposition. That seems like a thing to fix in the past, but then mm. they've also got the Rene Picard stuff and it's like, it's like they can't quite pick a lane and what... And one thing over another might be better or more interesting, but they're throwing a few things in which dilute each side of it. And it's like, I'd be up for a series which is all about, you've accidentally brought the Borg Queen, you know, Captain America on his chair, like so. You brought the Borg Queen back to the past accidentally. <laughs> yes, what are you going to do about it? And that's a really clear thing of like, yes, how do you stop the fucking Borg when it's 2024, you don't have the same sort of tech and they they can run around uh, unchallenged. But then to bring in everything else with, with Picard's ancestor. I mean, what I thought was going to happen in the finale with the whole thing of with um, Laris. I thought it was going to be Toyota that the, the real Picard, Rene Picard, was going to die. Right. And so that she would then have to just assume her part and do the mission to keep history alive. And then it turns oh, out that right. she is Picard's ancestor because she had to keep living that life. Oh, God, well, it's getting a bit incestual, isn't it? Um, well, yeah, maybe. Or, I mean, Star Wars is a huge criminal for this, but like, this is another modern trope, is that everything is about legacies and everything is about hereditary, hmm. not hereditary, like, um, is about ancestors. Yeah. Well, I and thought you were going to say family. Star Wars is guilty when it comes to incest because of Luke well, yeah. <laughs> No, but like, of, of, of famous families mm. and, and gene pools and family lines. Talking about Picard's ancestors and relatives, yeah. what did we think about the whole running uh, storyline yeah. about the flashbacks to good old Yvette Picard, who is Picard's mum, uh, dealing Bolter. with her mental yeah, health issues and committing suicide, and of course, uh, the, the seemingly evil father of Picard, who kind of represented by, as you say, Guys Boltar from Battlestar Galactica remake, uh, which is a show that really did the whole analogy for modern times for a future show really, really well. Mm -hmm. So go watch Battlestar Galactica the remake. is fucking great. Also, go and watch Sleepy Hollow because that's what this whole storyline was, wasn't it? Like, um, the, the, I can't yeah. remember enough about evil, Sleepy Hollow. Evil dad locking a little boy looking for mum. Evil dad lock, caught, accusing mum of having mad mental illnesses and locking yes, her. Yes, these flashbacks chambers. are... Is that what Sleepy Hollow? I literally and saw Sleepy Hollow in the cinema. I haven't seen it You're going to end up like, trapped in the Iron Maiden thing. Yeah, yeah. And blood. there's this creepy scene where like... Um, little baby Ichabod is like <laughs> mum is calling him and she's like look he's like looking she's like Ichabod and then he finds her in the Iron Maiden like bleeding out the eyes yeah so her going like Sean Luke find me any little kid who like calls his mother and father maman and papa is like papa it's like he goes to eat and fuck him like fuck him honestly isn't it because he's meant to be French 
Is, is, he, a, is he actually friends or is it just that they live friend. at the... Well, it's so fucking that, weird, right? isn't it? He is meant to be but French. But is Renee Picard even French in this? She's no, she talks like... No, no, no. She's, yeah. she's cut glass British accent. So yeah. how far back are they actually French? Yeah, at what Jiminy point Cricket are they Paris. French? Chateau Picard and all that yeah. kind of Chateau bullshit. Picard. Like, uh, but yeah, what did we think about that? The flashbacks and stuff. Do you think that added to Picard's character? That's when I was most zoning out. I mean, I don't know whether it was just the... You know, the dialogue, the performances or what, but I felt like, what is this kind of adding to everything when we could be having more stuff with actual uh, Patrick Stewart Picard here as opposed to disappearing into these flashbacks for, like, quite a long period of time mm-hmm. per episode? I think also what it all kind of... It felt, every time we cut there, it never felt like it was pushing anything forward. I didn't no. really know why we were doing it. I was a bit sort of lost on what the whole plot of the series yeah. was. I was like, Wait, what are you doing? There's never going to be something we discover in them that helps no, everything. No, and if, if he had to live the entire... If Q had sent them into his memories, then I'd get it a bit more. Mm. Like, you've got to find a clue in here. You know, piece together your past, blah, blah, blah. But that's not really what he did. He sort of sent them back in time. To, or they went back in time. I don't know what Q did, really. Anyway, I, I don't know what... I don't know what... I don't really, my main note is I don't really know what the show is about. Um, but, yeah. The, I've um, never known what Q's up to. Well, because no. one of the things is, is... Is it in this, he's discovering that his mum committed suicide, isn't it? Well, he didn't know his mum committed suicide. Repressed it? memory bullshit. Because the whole thing is, isn't it, in terms of if he knew his mum committed suicide, we go... Well, why did that never fucking come up in fucking seven seasons and what two hundred odd episodes well, be- of Because Sergeant we never Nation used to talk about our feelings, but now that we're in modern shows, yeah. we all have to talk. about Well, our exactly. Our... This is the thing: is because the characters in TNG in general were mostly emotionless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I miss that shit. Like, that oh what? my god, again. Like I say, Doctor Who's got a lot to apologise for. <laughs> yeah. Sherlock's got a lot to apologise for, and therapy's got a fuck close. Bottle it all back up. Yeah, bottle it all back up, guys. I love characters who sort of just fucking choke down their tears. <laughs> Genuinely, they do. As Tony Soprano once said, a man who was in therapy. Whatever happened to Gary Cooper, the strong, silent type, that was an American. He wasn't in touch with his feelings. He just did what he had to do. See, see what they didn't know was once they got Gary Cooper in touch with his feelings, that they wouldn't be able to shut him up. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I always used to love Obi-Wan Kenobi for that, because I would imagine, like, what? he Because it was such a dry, dead desert of a character. <laughs> that, but, like, but so much great story yeah. happened to you, in theory, that I was always like... God, they must be going through so much shit, but you never saw it. So you're like, oh my god, it was all kind of left to the imagination. Yeah, There's yeah. a bit of like a flirtation with between like a character and what the audience are interpreting. So when they're just offloading all the fucking time, they're just annoying. Yeah, like, you're real just like, oh, people I'm a bit are like turned off now. Actually, yeah. It's, you if know. you go to the pub with your friends, you're like, how are you? And they're like, oh, I haven't my life, and uh, <laughs> you know what? You manipulate me too often, and I think I'm creating space for you to admit to me about your trauma. And I go, geez, okay. Wow, the the artifice is I ask how you are and you say fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do we think it's because we look for characters in TV who could actually deal with their shit because yes. we know we can't? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yes, but also I think it's just more like artfulness. There's like, a, a, you know, I used to love it in TV shows when characters took five or six series to finally talk about their feelings. It was like a real journey to get them to open up and now everyone's just... Uh, everyone just talks about that. You just feel like everyone is coming to writing stuff in a post they're all going to the same fucking therapist in Fairfax or whatever I wonder if that's why a lot of these characters do fall flat because it's like you kind of get some intro to them and then two or three episodes in they're like getting it all out there and you're like there's no mystery there's no like 
tension. There's no, what would it mean to us if this all came out in like a fifth season or something? It's like it's finally... so difficult, isn't it? It's because you kind of feel like it's got it's trying to represent the world we're living in, where the world is actively changing all the time. Even in like you know the last decade, the the social world has changed so much, or at least in terms of on the side of the liberal left elite like you know in terms of who are the couple who write television mm. like I'm looking at you Sophie yeah. <laughs> who are in connection with their feelings hopefully and like try to write about them and everything you like it's almost like TV is desperately trying to catch up to that and it's kind of because of that it seems cloying mm-hmm. and it's a difficult thing where it's like yeah of course that's good and we should be representing that on television and we should be moving things forward so that you know the characters we're watching represent something aspirational in terms of us being better people but it just doesn't quite uh, it's almost like the writers are they're not quite there yet to make it so here's the thing picking up on your phrase better people and i think this is possibly what one of the problems is is that i'd say these people are far more toxic and far more unhealthy than any character in Life on Mars <laughs> that right. is set in the 70s. And it all seems to come from, A, a need to make everybody funny, which I just want to just fucking kill dead, but also everybody has to talk about their feelings because we're trying to reflect contemporary attitudes like, and we, you know, we are the who we are now and we, we talk about our feelings more. But as a result, everyone is both incredibly mentally ill in this show, like super, super, super unwell. <laughs> incredibly uncontrolled about that like if you were doing a therapist reacts to I'm like the reason why in a lot of shows you don't see people talk about their feelings like is because they're fucking at work <laughs> and actually in our real lives at work we don't fall apart yeah, like this yeah this isn't coming out this isn't coming apart like this not in front of our bosses no and and but here everyone is rude to each other they're falling apart at work they're eating too much cake and throwing up they're killing their hostages and having meltdowns and it, it feels like they are far more unhealthy far more toxic not better people at all and so it's really weird that like because you'll hear like people you know, whether it's sort of the showrunner or producers of the show talking about how like we want to re- reflect modern attitudes and you know this is a contemporary you know, I don't think it really does because I think again it's that sci-fi thing of if you want to do like okay if you want to reflect our contemporary attitudes and then put a futurist lens on it what does the best workplace look like now like you know does it look like Spock turning up and very calmly saying to Kirk hi Kirk I'm going to take two days in the, in the in the holodeck because I'm having a depressive episode he goes oh fine I'll see you in two days thank you sir do you know what I mean? Like, is, is, is it that? Is it where people are so comfortable with our mental health conditions mm. and stuff that we talk about them like we have a cold? Is that, that's the version I think feels like, oh great, that's sci-fi mental illness, rather than this horrible mm. mishmash of like, basically everyone in TV now is mentally ill and funny about it. And I think that's because a lot of LA people are like that. Do you think maybe <laughs> the writers are going like, if people are that open and straightforward, where's the drama in that for us? Like, how can we generate stuff when, if it's that... If it is like, I'm just off to the holiday for a couple of days, they're like, shit, maybe it would be like that. But then where does that leave us for like basic... Well, that gets about the TNG thing, doesn't it? Where the whole Gene Roddenberry, we saw TNG, had this non-conflict idea. Mm. And the writers were fucking pulling their hair out, going, Gene, we need to have fucking conflict. <laughs> and then we get DS9. And DS9 actually kind of like is a good example in terms of it is still there very much. The characters are quite Star Trek-y and like emotionless. But then they're you know, they're propelled into future, like the episode, brilliant episode, which we discussed before, 
on Science of Trek with Dean Burnett, Hard Time, where Colmini's character is put into this bizarro mental prison where he spends like 90 fucking years in a prison in his mind. Oh and then like he's got all kinds of PTSD and stuff like that, you know. It's good. You can still have stuff like that, but you've got to put it in a futuristic setting where it's like, okay, it's it's like what we're experiencing now, but ten times more so. Mm. Like, you know, in terms of it's the future equivalent rather than just what we're experiencing now, but yeah. randomly represented <laughs> in a futuristic Basically, TV every show. character in this show is every writer's Adderold child. Like, they're all, like... <laughs> I think you could diagnose every one of these characters with a hundred different problems and they are all and, and they're badly controlled. <laughs> so like you've got badly controlled all sorts of things. You need to see somebody, you also need to take time off work. In terms of conflict, like half of the conflict in our everyday lives is well, it's why workplace dramas, you know, it's why Star Trek was always a workplace drama, is how do I manage my personal life at work? It's why CSI's famous trope was, are you gonna be able to like deal with the case seeing as you also have a dead antelope pet? Yes, <laughs> but I'll be able to manage my feelings about this murdered antelope given my past with murdered antelopes. And then of course they can't manage their past. It's that conflict of how do I keep my shit together and do my job? And the thing is that there is no burden on these characters to keep their shit together anymore. <laughs> we should say that Q actually pretends to be a therapist in this episode, in this season. Yeah. And it, to Rene Picard. And he's sort of being Picard's therapist in many ways because he's kind of helping him. You know, he's guiding him down this repressed memories route to realise that his mum committed suicide. It wasn't your fault, Jean-Luc. You know, it turns out that's kind of the idea, isn't it? And then, you know, they get to the end and then we find out that actually the whole thing is because Q is lonely. He doesn't want to be alone when he dies. He needs Picard with him because, of course, although they are enemies, really... They're lovers. They're lovers and best friends. Yeah, from enemies to lovers, always. Um, Yeah, by the end, I was like, oh, wow, this really is like... So all of this was so that you could help So Picard gives him a hug. So that Picard was fixed because you like Picard. <laughs> I feel like you could have just said Picard and this like is the JD thing. and Dr. Cox finally getting that hug and, and <laughs> This is the thing I always find yes. I always find really weird. In terms of your like a father to me relationships, that's a slow build and that works. Yeah. Because Cox always was like edging him with, with <laughs> being nice to him occasionally. In moments yeah. of crisis, he would be nice to him. And that was always, that's a trope in American returning dramas. I used to watch loads of NCIS and you like this bland, steely head cop who just did the police work, but that every now and again, you know, your sidekick would be too close to the case and the boss would bollock him. But then at the end, he'd be like, are you okay? <laughs> and he'd be like, oh my God, he showed his feelings. And um, yeah, and you build to the hug and it works. Well, well I think the hug here between Bacard and Q. Oh, yes. Most unexpected. Perhaps now there'll be some surplus energy. Call it a surprise, a gift. Farewell, Mon Capitaine. It's time for me to go. But not alone. Isn't that the point of all this? See you out there. 
does it work or does it only work because we've known these characters for fucking 30 fucking years or something like that and we're like we want them to hug because it's Q and Picard but does it actually mean anything I'd say it doesn't I mean I, I, did, I, I came into this whole thing confused and maybe I'm just not up mm. enough on my TNG but Q's relationship with any Star Trek captain always seemed to be quite sort of eye-rolly and annoying never like this vengeful loathing want... yeah well, he's a trickster yeah but like Picard is so angry with Q in the beginning like Q when he's oh I think him. he is angry with Q in the series well, I yeah, think because right? it... Q keeps fucking with them throughout the series like right. you know all the time so I think I think Picard does get pissed so, off yeah so him. the turnaround here from him basically being like damn the old mucker like doesn't work because it's just like even after everything yeah you've had a little hug little forehead kiss maybe I, yeah, I don't um, believe for a second that like Picard just forgives this. Like I, I, yeah, I don't. Like, he's, he's like smiling as if like, well, that's it. He can go off and die happy. And it's like, well, mm, you, for thirty plus years, he's been a thorn in your side. Yeah, he has yeah. manipulated him loads. And not only that, Q's not even just in TNG. He's in other Star Trek shows. He's always fucking yeah. with people. It's not just Picard. He's in Voyager as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, so it's that thing of going like. Literally, no, he's he's not good. And now it's turned into his thing. It's like, oh, no, actually, I love you. And, you know, I'm doing this for you, Jean-Luc. And I'm like, it's just like, no, you're not. You're well, I think psycho. I think they're sort of wrestling with the fact that, like, while Q might have been sort of, you know, he, my relationship with him was always that he was great fun. And I always really liked him. And he was very funny. He never did. He never caused great harm. It was always like <laughs> a prank. And they'd be like, oh, fucking Q. <laughs> and so... Q suddenly going mega evil here, like, felt weird to me. Mm. Like, yeah. making Picard have a realisation about his past is one thing, but doing it in a way that if they fail this mission, then the entire timeline's fucked. But like... he sort of reverses Emmering, doesn't he? Because he brings Elnor back, and with the other one, the one who's like, um, uh, Loris, like, he's like, oh, well, she died in every timeline, so it doesn't matter. And, uh, I mean, I do like John Delancey in this. I think he's great. I think he's quite a highlight. Uh, you know, he's doing what's being asked of him. It's just, it's just, you know, it just it kind of goes into this thing of like, oh, yeah, they're not really a villain. They're actually misunderstood. Yeah, and it's just the fact that all of it in the end is such a, it was all such a meaningless, meaningless exercise and they're all pretending that it wasn't. They're all pretending that it was worthwhile, what they've mm. all been through, mm. and that this was all, in fact, okay. And it just feels a bit sort of, um, I don't want to use the word gaslighty, but it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I don't believe for a second that any of you are like, yes, catharsis, mm, sweet catharsis. I'm like, this is, this is an incredibly bizarre thing that he's done and put you through and what? Well, yeah, because Elnor still died. In terms of, that's the thing, it's always that thing that like, oh, I, I brought him back, so yeah. it's fine. Yeah, but we still experience him dying. We still grieve for Elnor. Just because you bring him back doesn't mean, doesn't stop you from the fact that you did kill him in the first place. They like, did this you know. at the end of the last season as well. It's just they, they very rapidly go, it's all fine. There's no, I mean, like to say that shows don't have good endings is sort of quite trite now, seeing as like it's a, it is the hardest thing to do, and most shows have terrible endings now. Picard is particularly one for a oh I'm dying because wasn't Data dying in the last season? Yeah, we well, no, he was dead. Was. He was fucking dead. He died at the end of Nemesis, a Star Trek Nemesis, the film, hmm. and then in the last season it was all about how you know like the ghost of Data because whenever Data turned dying. Up, uh, yeah, Picard was dying because yeah. then they make the synthetic body for him and he sees Data in like the fucking Never Realm or yeah. whatever like so that. And he's like, and he's just like, thank you, Data, for your help. And, so uh, so season three, we've got like. 
protracted goodbyes with every TNG returning cast member. Yeah, like, it's fine, yeah. really. Yeah. Well, that's what they did in season one with Dave. He was like, I love you, Data. Like, <laughs> this is it. It's like, it's like everyone, this is the thing. It's like everyone's now got to go back to legacy IP and have characters tell each other they love each other for a modern audience who always used to write that fan fiction. Uh, yeah. Honestly, that's yeah, yeah. it. Because, yeah. like, you know, we're, we're more emotionally in touch now. Because well, so yeah, all know. the people who grew up writing, still fan, to be good. <laughs> but people who grew up writing fan fiction about emotion about emotionally repressed characters, as I did, because you were inspired by the emotionally repressed characters because they yes. left loads mm. to the imagination. Now there's no stone unturned. Uh, but now they are of an age where they are writing their shows, and all they ever wanted was what they wrote on fanfiction.net and Ao3, which was, and then they kiss, and so they're just. <laughs> well, we need the slash of, fiction. Yeah, imagine now. They used to call it. It was like. It was like, and it wasn't the feels. It was like comfort or something. It was like there's a whole subgenre of fan fiction, particularly like that, that was like characters just like emoting to each other and hugging each other, and like particularly tough men who are being like brotherly. And mm. there's obviously the slash side of things as well. Mm. But um, I just feel like I feel like I've cracked it. It's like those people are now of an age where they are writing these shows, and all they ever wanted of that legacy IP was to make them go fifis and <laughs> and touch fingers and go, I love you, really. I mean, that that was me, but I feel like I watched this stuff and I know exactly what the fuck is going on yeah. here and this isn't good telly, guys. I mean, I'd be fascinated to hear of, like, you know, young people's, like, teenagers or new people who haven't experienced the legacy-ness to it coming into all these shows, like these and every other IP mm-hmm. that's doing it and being like, how is this landing for you? What are you getting out of this? Because is it just catering so much to the past and to these types of fans who want this fan fiction stuff? Yeah, is this is and do you care about any of this and, and where it's going to go eventually when that generation now who's teenager is, are the ones running the shows? Are they just going to go the other way and be like all new, all all fresh, nothing old? Like that would be interesting. Well, I think there are new fans. I mean, I, I definitely through doing the podcast have spoken to and seen new fans who yeah. are gradually picking up now. Because you if you're like a sixteen-year-old kid who who came in on Discovery and then yeah, started, yeah, there are those people. and then started there are Picard those people. as like a follow-on from that, like how are they reacting to this show without having seen? I think they're reacting well. I think like literally, I think definitely, I've seen new generation of people who have come in on Discovery mm. and they've never seen any other Star Trek, and now they're discovering it all. Dis- but would they right, recognize yeah, it as the like? fan fiction loving that it is or no like, probably oh, not they probably just go this is a new thing and it's fine Discovery I'd say is way more accessible Picard yeah. feels like mm. Picard feels yeah. like it's been made yeah. like, it's the same with like, I don't know who watches Obi-Wan Kenobi other than millennials of a certain age who were kids when the prequels came out mm. yeah Discovery um, you could 100% watch as yeah. a new thing Strange New Worlds totally love it for sure yeah. Picard yeah. feels uh, but it's mainly this kind of Generally speaking, I'd say there's a whole like uh, there's a whole trend towards characters not not just sort of talking about their feelings all the time, but also like even in Discovery when they have that randomly when they desperately try to create characters for the the hot bridge crew who are all twenty two, <laughs> they try to make the pilot have like a depression storyline, and again it was all just people telling her, "You're so strong." You've got to talk about your feelings, and she's like, I can't talk about my feelings. And eventually, she does because they just go, "You're so strong. You've got to talk about your feelings." Just my implant is yeah. malfunctioning. Yeah, and it's like, oh, for... yeah, okay. Oh but yeah, I think they're coming in on this stuff and just being like, yeah. And then they, of course, we live in the age where you can go back and discover the new stuff. You can go on Netflix or whatever and see all the old stuff. And like, it's, it's like I would imagine it's similar two people who came in on Doctor Who when Chris Eccleston came in and mm. uh, got into that and then went back and watched the old episodes. Yeah. Which lots of people did. Lots but it's of too much time did. passed now. Like, if you were... I mean, fast forward 
17 years from when Doctor Who came back again. If you are now young getting into Doctor Who now, you're going back and watching everything from Eccleston onwards. You're not then going back to the 60s stuff. Well, I, I, don't, so know about, I don't know about now, but certainly when Eccleston came back, I know there's a whole generation of fans mm. who got into Eccleston, Tenant. And then went back and watched all the old episodes. Yeah. Like, I think, like, you know, there's a whole, there's podcasts I listen to yeah. of people who literally became fans of Doctor Who in the RTD era, went back, watched all the classic Doctor Who. So, you know, because we live in the age where you can do that. The trope of Doctor shouts at Moon and it just, <laughs> and it turns nice again is um, another thing that it has to apologise for and it's every fucking infected Trek like a plague. Um, so when, um, and, and a lot of that is Stop to do... playing with Doctor Who for everything! <laughs> <laughs> a lot of that is to do with the whole redeeming of the villain thing. But like, you know, because Doctor Who was always, you know, he always saw... Oh, he or she always saw the good in things, yes. and it was always like I just remember there was an episode where Matt Smith is literally screaming at Moon. Um, oh, I think you're talking about the uh, the rings of Akatar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Where they're singing in the background. He's like, I've seen yeah. things. Like he's doing a whole yeah, Blade yeah, Runner yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and 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 now it's all like I will talk down the bad guy, and I'm like, my God, the infertility of these of these villains that like their plan is so shite that you can be talked out of it by a passionate speech just which is just uh it just it always to me speaks to like we've not come up we can't come up with a really clever mechanical solution for the good guy to defeat the bad guy they just have to talk to them mm. now he's crying though he's crying so, like, and there's some singing in the background there's yeah. some young yes. girl going goodbye da, da, da. <laughs> that's what they're doing in that episode like yeah so that's enough to turn but the in tide this, criminally that's because that's Doctor Who he does that sort of shit in this criminally fucking Agnes screams at the moon at the Borg Queen like talks the Borg Queen out of being she does, the Borg yeah, yeah, yeah. and I found I mean I found so much of what they did to my my queen with a K uh, the Borg Queen with a K <laughs> deeply offensive the deeply Borgist and um, <laughs> I, I, I just just A the sassification and the girl bossification of the Borg Queen and yeah, her being like agree, oh oh why don't you dance with me so fucking awful but then to, to top it off being like we could be good teary eyes we could be we could be so much more why don't we create a whole world of sevens and like there's just no if you put that on paper there's just no way that the ball queen given what we know about her and given what she's expressed across the text of this series <laughs> that, that she agrees with that or cares about that but you haven't got any better ideas so you have just told me now that suddenly the ball queen is moved by tears and the passion. bullshit thing really jarred me, I've got to say. I, I, I do agree. That. I mean, it's a tiny thing, but I just absolutely hated that. Because <laughs> I think the thing is, I do. I saw Star Trek First Contact in the cinema, and I remember being freaked out by the ball queen. She's like fucking Dove, David Cronenberg, body horror yeah. kind of style, weird, freaky, sexy yeah. kind of stuff going on. And yeah, like, it does feel like a sanitization, 100%. Oh, yeah, because I always used to like that she was scary. You always saw her in like in that in the Borg the hive, you know, mm. in, in the depths of a Borg cube, and she was kind of scary, sexy, creepy, disgusting, gloopy, and always a step ahead and kind of undefeatable. Yeah, so I was really excited to see her because I thought, oh, she's going to be creepy again. Because I used to love the aesthetics of the Borg cube, all the green and the the wires and mm. stuff everywhere. And um, I used to play a computer game called um, Oh God. <laughs> oh God! Because Star Trek. Because oh Trek. Any any anyone who's played is gonna be going. It's this. It's this. it's not called Rogue Commander. But your um your Tuvok security team. 
I'll Google it later and cry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, and um, you, uh, you, the, your first mission is to infiltrate a ball cube, and it's just fucking terrifying. But uh, yeah, I love the ball queen, and so that she here is just so. It's that girl bossification. It's that Yars ball queen um, <laughs> vibe that I, I. It's like she's gonna be badass. She's gonna be sassy. She's gonna be badass, and I'm like. God, die. I feel like she would hate Agnes and would kill her instantly. <laughs> this idea that she's like really obsessed with her is bizarre. But it was also just the um, everything that she's expressed, everything that she's done speaks to somebody who does not give a shit about emotions, doesn't empathise. So that the fact that a little passionate speech about well, look at what we could be, it killed me. Yeah. Um, there's also a line where like, I just thought, and again, I feel like picking on individual lines of dialogue is so cheap, but, um, but uh, it sort of just spoke volumes to me when we first see the queen engaging with agnes in her head when they're back on the ship and she i heard you chattering away in there and agnes is like do you know how it felt to have my hand around my friend's throat not be able to do a damn thing about it and i was like oh okay that's the kind of feeling that would feel really meaningful for me to understand in the moment when you're doing that thing <laughs> but a i'm not invested in your relationships a fucking tall yeah. b you didn't show me this when it happened so now you've had to come up with this really contrived way for you to express this by saying it to a character you'd never say it to because you know they don't fucking care <laughs> why in the universe do you think the ball queen what do you think she's going to say to that like, do you know how it feels to hurt my friends <laughs> Who fucking cares? Fuck your friends, you know? Uh, That's what she should have said. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, in what universe do you think? Oh, I love friends. Um, yeah, I just, I just, I thought if, if what you want is for me to understand that feeling of like yeah oh wow i can't believe agnes has to oh my god she's doing that to her friend she can't do anything about it that's that's difficult a i need to give a shit about your friendships yeah, yeah. b just show me that in the moment or come up with some other way that's the entire feelings it. you want to have that isn't just like oh you just told it to me in and it was mind. the fact that she told it wasn't i mean i don't mind like people can see i'm not a sort of show don't tell you know say everything whatever it was the fact that the thing that jarred me was why are you saying that to her <laughs> of course she knows <laughs> like of course she doesn't care <laughs> like say that if she'd said it to anyone else, I would have been all right with it. It was yeah. the fact. That, like, sorry, know... I almost killed you. I was being controlled by Bullcreen. Can you imagine yeah. how that feels? Like, yeah, oh, do you know, man. it felt terrible for me. Like, yeah, fine, great, fine, whatever. But it was all. <laughs> do you know how it feels? Like, oh, oh, you're right. No, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I did that. How rude. I've got it right. Star Trek First Contact is David Cronenberg's crash, <laughs> where they're having sex because they get turned on by cars <laughs> crashing. And because season two is Paul Haggis's crash, <laughs> we're forced really bullshit discussions about race and how, <laughs> how far we've fallen. Yeah, exactly. So there there's, you go. That, that's what it is. Two points in this final episode talking to us of IP dangling. Uh, we get after um, Soong's files have all been deleted, he gets out that folder labeled Project Khan. Oh, God, yeah. So are we saying that he is now also responsible for. Khan's whole thing. And then uh, Wesley Crusher. I was just going to say, Wesley Crusher arrived. Now part annoying. of the Travellers, sure. Everyone's always got really bizarre names that, again, like, I know you've got to do this because it's Star Trek, but, like, in you just know that in the real world they'd be called, like, the UDC or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the Undiscovered Detectorable uh, Communicators. Is this a thing? Like, as in the whole Wesley Crusher thing, when he turns up and he goes, oh, I'm now part of this. Is that a thing that's established I in pre... This. You know, I, know. I, I, I was just kind of going like, no oh, 
Right. I assume it's setting very... up a spin-off show, isn't it? Yeah, it's very backdoor pilot last scene. But yeah. if he's going to be in season three, the rest of the TNG crew, is he going to be doing this travel? He's going to have TVA some banter style? with his mom. Yeah. Like, awesome. Yeah, I, 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 didn't quite, I didn't quite get it, like, in terms of what was going on there. Also, the other thing I wanted to ask about was, what did we think about young Guinan, old Guinan? I just didn't... Again, I just didn't care. I just didn't care. It was nice to see Whoopi back. And it's interesting that they... Whoopi. They, <laughs> they had the character do a little more and being able to recast her young. But it seemed... Like, I didn't know much about Guinan's species or anything. No. And again, but it's, it's like, like... So oh she's able to... Yeah, friend. she's aged from a young actress to a Whoopi actress since the 21st century up to whatever. But then, you know, someone like Q is ageless and stuff. I think she is... A Eternal, but you know, like they all could, these it things. could have just been Whoopi playing going the whole thing and been like, I would have bought like, oh yeah, yeah that she, would have made almost just, more sense. Uh, it's played by Ito yeah, Aguerrera. Uh, she's very good because there are moments where her voice literally does sound like Whoopi. There's moments where she's speaking, and I'm like, oh shit, it's fucking Whoopi. Oh no, it's her. Like, I think, like, she is decent, but it just feels. Yeah weird and like you say I do so get like the whole thing she was just running this like LA bar back then and she's gone back to it in the future as well and... yeah because she is an alien right she's not it's not a human yeah. so just I don't know she's why like, oh, I've got bills to pay i got to keep the lights on in this fucking <laughs> bar sure just always running bars I just, um, yeah it, again it just sort of felt like um, a sort of you remember this person they're now my best friend <laughs> yeah. everyone Picard runs into is my oldest friend <laughs> and it's somebody he had four scenes with in a couple of episodes do you know what I mean I do think of Guinan as Picard's friend though mostly because of the much reference on this podcast <laughs> stuffed track the Adam and Joe parody <laughs> of Star Trek Next Generation where there's a big scene where uh, what is it Jean-Luc Picard I think <laughs> is there, goes into the uh, bar and is just like ah and, and like, oh, whoopee Give me some mirage. <laughs> like, uh, and literally has this relationship with like Whoopi in it. So I do think of them as like best friends. And she's the, she's, you know, the bar woman who kind of listens to his bullshit and problems while he's drinking. Yeah, they have know. meaningful conversations, don't yeah, they? Yeah, They're exactly. Not, but um, I, yeah, I just didn't care. I, I, I probably, probably if I'd been more invested in TNG, mm. I would have gone like, oh, Guinan, mm. cool. But, and maybe if it had been Whoopi, I was just like, and she's a nice actor, but I, again, just not much to do other than to be sassy and funny. <laughs> yeah, she's yeah. only Whoopi in two scenes. That's the thing, it made the big, because there was a big moment made of this on where Pichu went on The View. Uh, which oh. is the show, obviously, yeah. that Whoopi Goldberg now presents. And he said, like, Whoopi, will you come back to play Garden in Picard season two? Like, she's like, oh, my God. Like, yeah, and obviously... Yeah, that's kind of all I can think about when I saw her scenes. I was like, oh, yeah, this is post the view episode <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, so literally funny. it was a big setup to obviously uh, you know presumably you know because i don't think uh, pc has the power to just be like yes i will now just offer oh, you a job no, but, but yes yeah, so it was obviously all set up to be a big moment for publicity and she's in two scenes essentially like one scene the first one and one scene the last one really it reminds me of every time they do these like legacy actor stuff and they did it with you and McGregor and everyone could know Kathleen Kennedy on stage going will you <laughs> as though like you're knighting them or proposing to them <laughs> yeah. as just a PR stunt it's just, will it's you be so, LB again it's just so cringe I well just they did it with it. with Peace Shoot at Star Trek Las Vegas which our friend 
Scott, who was on a previous podcast, who also hates Picard, or as he <laughs> calls it, an unmitigated disaster. He was in the room in Las Vegas when Pichu came up on stage and went, Picard is back. Oh, and, and everyone went crazy. Like, you know, it was like, yeah, wow, just... it was the announcement of Picard coming back. And it obviously was a disappointment to many, unfortunately. Just... Well, no, it definitely was a disappointment to uh, fellow co-host Paul. Can't be yes. Okay. He, uh, yes. He said to, to say on record, is the worst season of Star Trek he's ever seen? He said, yeah, worst season of Star Trek he's ever seen. And he, out of all of us, has seen the most Star Trek. Yeah. So that is more damning than either of us. Well, I think because this just feels like, for so much of it, it just feels like, in a way that I think, even though I really didn't like season one, because it's all just set in a desert <laughs> in the modern day, it just feels like a really shit season of NCIS. Like, it feels CSI in part LA. like the kind of fan films you get which have a little bit of production value and they've managed to pull back an original cast member or two and do it. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like that in parts in the in the modern day stuff. Well, I should say, before we get to Final Thoughts, which you, we should really get to, I should say, Sophie, mm-hmm. you know, if you have anyone to blame for you being here today... And oh. having to watch Picard season two. This all started with <laughs> James Dyer. James Dyer. Who is the host of the Pilot TV podcast, um, along with Boyd Hilton and uh, Beth Webb, who has been on Spotlight multiple times before. Uh, he came he on <laughs> to talk about Star Trek Discovery season two and also came back to chat about the chain of command to part. There are four. What? <laughs> he came on to talk about good. that That's two-parter. Right. <laughs> and literally, it was him who inspired me to ask you back oh, for this episode James. because uh, he was on the Pirate TV podcast and he was saying on the Pirate TV podcast that he was bemoaning Star Trek Picard season two. He didn't like it. And he was saying, oh, I wanted to get Sophie Petzl <laughs> to say her opinion. I keep asking, what, what is your opinion about it? Try to get her to watch it because I want to hear her opinion. I was like, I want to hear Sophie's opinion as well. Let's get her back on the podcast you to talk to do, about You managed to two. get me to watch it. James never fully <laughs> succeeded. Um, so, yeah, no, congratulations. Because, uh, yeah, James was like, at one point, like, oh, um, yeah, just send me, like, send me a voice memo when you finish it. And I was like, I'm just not going to watch it. The only way was to force ourselves round your flat Yeah, like, I, I, I said to you, like, like, <laughs> it got to a point because we were like, so you were like talking to me about it. And I said, like, look, we just have to set a date so I have a deadline. Otherwise, <laughs> otherwise I'll just never, never watch it. I'll just never it. watch it. So, so, in honour of James, I should say, I spoke to James and said, look, have you got anything to say about Quiet Season 2? Which you want us <laughs> what to have you got to say to, to yourself? read out on the show? And as uh, much as he did when Nick DeSemlin appeared on the show from Empire, he did a pre-prepared statement oh, great. <laughs> on Season 2 of Picard. So, these are James Dyer from Empire Magazine and Pilot TV Podcast. Professional Forks. critic. Professional Critic so on Picard season two. So I asked him, what, what do you think? And he said, oh, God, <laughs> I hope you're prepared for it. I have a strong suspicion that Sophie and I will be very much aligned on this one. Oh, and I think you are. I hated it with the fire of a thousand <laughs> photon torpedoes. It completely lost sight of what Star Trek is supposed to be. Didn't have a single original idea and just reeled off a series of Trek's greatest and not-so-greatest hits. 
It was almost embarrassingly awkward in its attempts at fan service. The writing made my toes curl, as did some of the production design. And all the timey-wimey guidance stuff made no sense when Time's Arrow exists. Uh, That's a TNG two-part. I reject the alternate universe theory on principle, as I don't think the point of divergence had come at that stage. Otherwise, (laughs) they wouldn't have been able to fix the timeline. Don't even get me started on Picard's brother. Where in the name of Kalesh's beard had he fucked off to? He's talking about Picard's brother. Wait, brother. Picard's brother, who uh, Picard has a fight with in the episode Family, which is the episode after the best of both worlds to Parter, where Picard gets possessed by the He has the wrestling match in the white white room. So he's asking, well, where is he in all the flashbacks, I guess? Like, you know, in terms of because surely he would be around. I also find it funny that he uses the phrase timey-wimey, which is a Doctor Who Who phrase, where he hates Doctor Who. There there it is. Uh, There you go. That is James Dyer's. Pre-prepared, that statement. pre-prepared statement. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't really disagree. Though I, I did think that sounds like if you just pulled that off, like our Trek on Reddit, as just some, <laughs> some guy's rant, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but I have just found another thing that I enjoyed. <laughs> Oh wow! Oh, okay. Kind of thing. okay. It's one. It mainly because of what it made me imagine, rather than what it. The, 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 it when Guinan tells Picard, because Guinan is brought back in the last bit to do exactly the same as what Picard was told in season one when he's brought back from the dead and they give him a load of exposition explaining why it's okay that he's been brought back from the dead. Mm. Um, Picard goes to Guinan at the end of season two and she goes, don't worry, it's all fine. And also here are all the people who lived happy long lives. Um, So he asks how Chris Rios is. And uh, he says, oh, his girlfriend died old age. He died younger in a Moroccan bullfight. (laughs) Um, bar fight bar fight <laughs> bar fight he became a bullfighter in well, later so life so this is what okay so well th- this doesn't temper it much but it does a bit a, a m- Moroccan bar fight you know he lived as he died and he he had a last puff of a cigar and they're like ah oh, ah oh, ah oh. And I just thought that is yeah, that's what they're laughing yeah. about their friend dying but, but like, yeah. I just thought again this is this isn't the mirror universe this isn't the kelvin verse this is the tv universe this is the kind of thing that you only do in television that nobody nobody in real life i what i started imagining was that bar fight where he brutally dies and his wife and child are left alone no money weeping at his funeral devastated traumatized by his sudden and violent end and he like and now his friends are like it's just a, a charming anecdote classic real classic real <laughs> well they say they say his last breath was on a cigar. Yeah. So he went out the way he always wanted to. But I'm like, wait a minute, he died in a bar fight. Did he so always was, dream he, that? was he like, this... did he think he'd beaten the guy who was fighting? Went, ah, time for a cigar. And then the guy was like, stop, stop, stop. <laughs> <laughs> or did they put a cigar in his mouth as he bled out on the barroom floor? <laughs> yeah. I just, it also, dying in a bar fight doesn't scream a man who is happy and together in his life. So like, what the fuck happened with him and his yeah. partner and his kid? Had they divorced? Was there, was there tension or violence within the relationship? Like that that is, that is not a peaceful, happy man. I, I, I just thought it was so funny that this incredibly traumatic, icky anecdote was being delivered as like a charming Just like sewn up right at the end. Yeah. Just like, wait, wait, it, it's, it's absolutely fine. Let's get into final thoughts on Star Trek Picard season two. I will come Bye. to you, Matt. Um, yeah, I mean, like I say, for the first three or four episodes, I was kind of enjoying this in a in a... 
I guess you'd say a guilty pleasure way because I was like I recognize that this is this is bad but I was expecting a lot worse and I think I was just taken by the like episodic storytelling for the beginning because it's kind of you know you get the whole setup in the first one the second one is purely just the alternate timeline third one is the journey back to the past I was like okay these are clear beats here and then it just kind of loses its way quite a bit I mean thinking of a season three now because um I probably wouldn't have bothered watching this season if it wasn't for us covering it here and I'm like I, I've genuinely no idea what season three could be at this point like knowing the only thing about it is that more TNG people are coming back it's like okay well they could soft reboot everything and just have a completely new season long story and there's still time for them to get something right and be like we could have a season long arc and story here with individual episodes and people coming back in meaningful ways so they could all pull it around and even if they don't it's just one more trip around the sun I guess so um but yeah, it, you know, the dialogue is trashed throughout, the characterization is, is terrible, the plotting is very basic. One of my notes here as well I didn't mention is there's so many... I mean, you've got the, the, the bit from Q where he says, you know, how very yesterday's Enterprise of you. There's so many jokes, references to uh, the classic Earl Grey Hot this season, I think. We've got stuff like Milk Chocolate Hot and at least another three or so in the first two episodes alone, it was a bit much. Um, and it just, I mean, the thing that depressed me the most is just sleepy old Patrick Stewart. Mm. It's like, I get it if it's if it's tough for him and, and age is finally catching up, or whether he recognises that it's a bit shit and he's just not trying. I don't quite know which it is. But yeah, just, he is 82. Yeah. Now. So, so see, is quite it's like you've always said, where it like, I swear from like the mid 90s to a few years ago he was just old bold guy but still in good shape and in good Well yeah I mean even when I watched um, Blunt Talk <clears throat> the uh, Jonathan Amos uh, Seth MacFarlane show he was in he still seemed he still he seemed slightly old but he still seemed young in comparison to now yeah like I mean, when he was like, in yeah. um, Logan which is five years ago now yeah even, where he's playing even then it and felt still like they aged him up and it's yeah. like now you're doddering older on your deathbed kind of thing which it very much felt like he wasn't and he was acting that whereas now it feels like they've just kind of said come on have your cup of tea and, and <laughs> probably not his set. cup of tea but his spliff he loves a little spliff <laughs> and he loves his pit bulls just I mean yeah. are, are we going to have to cut this out is, or is that a, or is this established I think established he, he loves he loves his pot I think. Is that a I thing mean, that he, <laughs> on his so. Instagram stories? Like, uh, oh, yes, uh, I love a spliff. Patrick Stewart. I feel like there's a photo of him <laughs> with a huge old spliff. But anyway, I mean, they're Just all on the cover now. of that, you know, what was it, like Weed Magazine? Just Picard going, yeah. go, smoke yeah. weed Patrick, every day. Metro 2017. Patrick Stewart reveals he uses cannabis every day for, oh, medical, wow. for medical reasons. Which what is what they all say in LA. For medical reasons. Engaged. For his arthritis. But, um, but yeah, I'm like, just let him have his nice life in his yeah. nice house. And stop making him do this. It yeah, doesn't yeah. look like he wants to. It's like I'm, I'm always kind of worried of like what they're going to ask him to do for season three. It's, it's another God, year on. What do you mean? Like he's even older. That's what I mean. It's like, Christ, like let him sit What down. are they going to ask him to do? Full frontal nudity. So it's either going to be like he's doing very little at which point it's almost like what was the point of this final season and it'll be a bit sad or he'll he'll pull out the stops one last one last time all the it. TNG lot of back next see everyone's gonna be fucking old it's, it's gonna fine. be it's gonna be like you know hitting that nostalgia emotional point to see them all together again so if they can put like an interesting story around it then they will see they might redeem it yeah well I gotta say uh, you know, weirdly, season three has already been shot, by the way. Yeah. They like, like, shot it back to back with season two, which is why they could do the little mm. trailer thing early on. 
and I know there have been rumblings online, people, like big kind of like Star Trek people who have seen season three and love it. Like literally Yeah, the even, rumors like, are that it's brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Like who the fuck knows? But, but this is the thing, even like there are people like famously <coughs> uh, uh, high echelon Star Trek fans, uh, like people like Robert Meyer Burnett. Uh, who's famously a very gatekeepy old school Star Trek fan who's kind of hated a lot of new Trek stuff. He has somehow seen season three of Picard and he's like, it's amazing. Absolutely love it. And he's been very vocal in terms of hating new Trek stuff. So, you know, who's so, to say? I mean, like, the, the, the Paramount machine could also be at work there. Who knows? Yeah, I, yeah, I well, like yeah. To... You reckon they could uh, do a chuckload of money? Well, I mean, up they've already house, they've so, yeah. already released a little fucking morsely trailer to get all the fans going, like, oh, yeah, it's yeah. gonna be good again, and like, yeah, you know, to right. make sure they, they come back. So who the fuck knows? They shot between they shot some bits of it during season two back in February twenty twenty one, but then they filmed season three properly from September to March, just gone. So. Yeah, Sophie, what did you think? Final thoughts of Picard season two. <sighs> Final thoughts. Well, I feel like I've given a fairly comprehensive <laughs> list of my of the failings that I perceived but um, my final thoughts really are that if you ever wanted to do a study on what it's like to limit yourself only to consuming media that's actually making you unhappy <laughs> do it while watching Picard season 2 because I, I thought like you know I thought maybe I could like hate watch this or I could get some joy out of it in some way or I could just you know I was like no just fucking relax and see if you can just enjoy it for the sake of it like no no and like it would make <laughs> me it would make me cross and it would make me bored and I realised like wow for two hours a night I'm forcing myself to sit here and be bored and unhappy and, and like I was like this is genuinely having an effect on my well-being <laughs> <laughs> and um, we're I being thought, sued Liam that's, yeah, that's I thought, I thought that was fascinating anyway people will be in touch uh, <laughs> I, I, I thought it was quite fascinating that I could get so down <laughs> <laughs> watching Star Trek and also just being like cutting yourself off from everything else in the pursuit of what like, I thought you were going to say it's like cutting yourself no no no, no. <laughs> final thoughts my life has no, been, that been, been irreparably worse <laughs> no cutting yourself off from all other culture uh, for the sake of Picard season 2 has been quite <laughs> educational and I'm really looking forward to like watching the Rings of Power I'm really looking forward to watching Something else. But that's the thing. Just think about what a relief it will be now. So well, now you can literally binge She-Hulk, She Rings Hulk, of Power, House of Dragon, Dragon, all these shows you missed out on because of fucking Bacar. We've yeah. got at least six Academy, or seven Dreams, the football show on Channel 4. Welcome to Wrexham on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> Welcome to getting yeah, Group Tales or whatever it is on Disney+. Also on Disney+. Plus. You know, I, I feel like my heart goes out. To, that, that, that show was clearly chaos. It was clearly a fucking nightmare to make. It clearly didn't work for anybody. Uh, my heart kind of goes out to people involved in shows like that we've always been we've all been involved in shows like that none of us want to be but yeah as a piece of star trek media if i sort of detach myself from my <laughs> natural empathy towards like fellow writery types it's just it is the worst star trek thing i've ever seen wow I think, fucking hell but i think so much of that comes down to like it's i feel like so much of that comes down to the fact that you you have all the ropey plotting, you have the ropey characters, the, the unengaging emotional core, the lack of any kind of subtext, just text. But a lot of Star Trek has that. But then what this went and did was it then went and basically set it here in the modern day, which t takes any kind of 
escapism or joy away mm. from Star Trek and basically just makes it CSI Miami and that for me is why like uh, on top of everything else it's just a complete fucking car crash will you be back for season 3 <laughs> uh, no uh, well I'll, if, if everyone is like oh, it is actually fucking amazing then I'm sure I'll probably go and visit my parents at some point again and we'll whack it on and then I'll be trapped in an, an endless there'll be no escape again <laughs> <laughs> all over again uh, so at some point we would like to get you back so for something that you do enjoy I watching do enjoy Oh, at some point yes. we would like to do that like, after we've traumatised you would you still be willing to come absolutely <laughs> always, always always you get me and James on at the same time just shriek at each other and increasingly our voices get I mean that would higher. be that would be fun to get yeah. you and Dara on at the same time <laughs> probably too like, much yeah, around one microphone like yeah I was thinking about saying like Dara do you just want to come along for this episode? but I thought like both of you be ranting away be too oh. we, we, we banged on for about three hours this time yeah, my, na- my neighbours would be banging on yeah, the ceiling literally then, be, yeah. the helicopter would be flying yeah. over again <laughs> but uh, for me I enjoyed this more than season one season one I found more of a slog I still wouldn't describe this as good I don't think but I think I enjoyed it I found it easier to get on with I certainly for the first like three episodes or so I kind of feel there's a more kind of propulsive nature. It's very cookie cutter and I've seen it all before, but it kind of worked in a sort of like enjoyable whatever way as it goes on and things get more bogged down in kind of continuity and the stories and the characters and the fucking million versions of Dr. Sung, the character (laughs) Brent Spiner played, who he plays Adam Sung in this, who's the 2024 villain of the show, essentially. In Enterprise, he played Dr. Eric Sung. In Picard Season 1, he played Alan Indigo Sung. In fucking TNG, he plays fucking Noonan Sung, who's the creator of Data and Law. Literally, Brent Spire has made a career out of playing all these different versions, all these different (laughs) ancestors of Dr. Sung, plus Data, plus Law. I fucking know, he's rolling in it. I have to wait until season three to see New Sung. Yeah, God knows what's going on. So it was all very confusing. (laughs) House of the Rising Sung, sorry. The whole Data Q thing. You know, it's kind of bullshit, but I sort of liked it. I kind of like that they have a hug at the end. Sort of works for me. I like John Delancey. He's still mm. really good as as Q. He kind of seems more on it than uh, Patrick Stewart as Picard at this point. Um, you know, yeah, it was fine. It was fine. That's nice. It's uh, nice yeah. that you didn't hate your life yeah. while watching no, it. No, it, it was fine. I'm, I'm definitely think... more with you and it feels like Paul and James and Sophie are on very much yeah. the same page. Yeah, and no, it's like, I, um... as I said to you before we recorded, like I don't think I disagree with anything anyone says about no. it. No, I haven't. No, but, and um... I, can, I can understand why, like, I, I totally understand the positive point of, like, it is definitely more... Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. say it's clear, but it's definitely more cookie cutter. It's definitely more. There's a sense of propulsiveness, even if I didn't. I was not taken on that ride. I did not yes. feel yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I could, I can. It's I, a little I don't more beer and pizza and go, night, easy to go yeah. down. Yeah. It's kind of Star Trek beer and pizza. Like it's like a two and a half star in terms of it's not good, but it's kind of. Fine I mean, a better version of it would exist as a new movie 
or just a two-parter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if this was a new TNG movie, it would kind of work yeah, better. Because then you almost. could really sharpen it up and cut out yes. the fast. And... Yeah, 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 yeah. The whole so, Star yeah. Trek crew going back in time, um, like in their in their uniform, to like is more fun and engaging than these mm. kind of everyone in their sort of grey, sexy um, track suits. Uh, it just fuck yeah. off. It no. reminded me of it reminded me of things like Future's End from uh, which I think is Voyager. Uh, where there's a two part with Sarah Silverman yeah, and stuff like, where it's like yeah 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 they reminded me of that kind of stuff when you know the uh, voyage home and stuff when the Star Trek characters go yeah. back to the well, present well we've got day. the return of the bus punk from voyage home yeah he's in it isn't he uh-huh. yeah and he yeah, turns yeah, yeah. Down and I say oh. screw you <laughs> oh my god I hated that I hated that <laughs> I hated that. <laughs> that, uh, that. That was a real like, and I don't normally complain too much about fan service because I'm like, you're in the fucking franchise business, kids. What do you expect? Uh, yeah. Um, but that was like soul destroying. I think just because the whole thing was that so was fucking like, I guess we anyway. have the same guy. He's up for it. Yeah. It and it was like, yeah. oh, and this time it's funny because he disagrees, <laughs> and you're like, only, only. <laughs> That this just does not work at all if you don't know what the fuck it means. It's... You don't really know Voyage Home. No. Yeah. Soul destroying. Sophie Petzl. Put yeah. that on the poster, Paramount. No, yeah. Please, <laughs> please, please, yeah. So that is our thoughts on Star Trek Picard. So I think it's reasonably, yeah. really, reasonably balanced, I think. You can find us at Spotlight Pond, at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or wherever you get your social media. You can find the podcast everywhere. Yeah. Leave us a five star review, please. Yeah. Not two and a half star, like I just mentioned, for Picard season two, but five stars. Mm-hmm. Five thoughts. lights! Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Spotlightpod.gmail.com for uh, long form reviews of yeah. Picard season two. Yeah, we'll exactly. You There may be one star reviews for Picard season two, but there are five! For the Spotlight <laughs> review, wherever you leave it on any podcast device. Sophie, where can we find you online? Um, the only place, well, I don't want to be found. Please don't come looking for me. <laughs> but if you were to find me, uh, mainly I'm on Twitter ranting and raving at Sonic underscore screw up. Perfect. Okay, well, Matt, you have other podcasts available as well where if people want to hear more of you, Sun Double Deep and Is Paul Dano Okay? That's right. Which is about to start a brand new season called Greers. Yes, I imagine by the time this episode comes out, we might be in the middle of Greers by now. So, yeah, we're looking at eight uh, of Judy Greer's finest, finest moments with an array of guests. Everything from 13 going on 30 right through to uh, The Village. So come check us out over there. We've uh, it's a, It's a real... It's a real mix of uh, things you might know her from and things you probably definitely don't. So uh, we are, yeah, tackling Judy in uh, while we wait for more Dano stuff to come out. Perfect. And I'll be coming back to Sun Double Deep to talk about the number four, covering Mishima, A Life in Four Chapters, Rocky Four, and Four Lions. Yeah. And doing a whole deeper on fourth chapters in... Uh, Which Jordan really did end up being, here's every fourth chapter from everything from the 1920s <laughs> to now. Yeah, <laughs> full, full list. So you can hear that as well. So there's lots of stuff coming up. We don't know what we'll be discussing on the next podcast because we, we never know what order these go go out in. But we've got a bunch of episodes coming up. We've got a truck turner. Mac truck Turner, Spotlight of the Movies, which will also operate as a tribute to Nichelle Nichols uh, at some point. 
And we've also got our Star Trek Motion Picture Director's Edition 4K Reaction Podcast, uh, which we recorded yep. some of the other night when we actually went to see yeah, you this mean, film. Yeah, you mean Paul Prince chatted uh, pre-game in the Pitch House Central Bar yeah. before heading to the Prince Charles. Listen to the record the other day. Sounds great. Oh, Sounds good. fine. Yeah, good, yeah, yeah. Good. Got some background ambiance. Like, Sounds really good. So, yeah, lots and lots of stuff coming up. But until next time, engage! It's astounding, time is fleeting, madness takes its toll, but listen closely. Not for very much longer. I've got to keep control. <laughs>